everyone, and welcome to Literary Demerit, a podcast where we take a look at works of questionable literary merit. I'm Siobhan. And I'm Kester. So we're coming back from a pretty long break, and during the break, uh, we did a lot of stuff like planning for our next season of, of this podcast, and uh, we also yeah. did a little reading of our own. Uh, we, we both read uh, The Secret Life of Bees, and we both have a lot of thoughts on it, I think, uh, which we will discuss probably next episode. This episode, we're talking about something else as our closing segment, and we have a lot to cover, so we have to plan this out pretty meticulously. Um, but, you know, as, as I was reading, I was thinking, wouldn't this be so much better if it was about Clance? Well... I mean, we're both always saying this. <laughs> um, pretty much any given work of fiction, uh, I approach it with the mindset like, could this be about two boys from animated media <laughs> who are gay for each other, perhaps? Um, that was the only thing I was thinking of. While I was reading *The Secret Life of Bees*, I was like, "Wouldn't this be right. so much better if it was if it was about Keith and Lance Voltron?" Right. When I engage with a story that's um, about topics like uh, racism and uh, child abuse, right? Child abuse, uh, the Jim Crow South, um, you know, uh, misogyny, uh, racialized misogyny. I. I really, um, I engage with those stories from the mindset of, okay, but what if it was about my favorite two animated gay boys? Yeah, so, uh, lo and behold, someone has actually written The Secret Life of Bees, but with Clance Voltron. <laughs> it's incredible what they've done. This isn't a joke, by the way. This is, this was I inspired. I wish we were joking. Yeah, this is inspired by The Secret Life of Bees, and if you've never read it... Uh, then then it uh, probably, it really comes out of left field when it is directly referenced. But I decided, hmm, maybe I should read this fic to uh, understand where the author is coming from, because it appears to be, like, one of their favorite novels, or at least uh, Keith's favorite novel, because he's the main character. Um, uh, and so I read it, and mm -hmm. I was, the whole time I was like, oh my god, Dirty Laundry is just this but with Clance. This was a real revelation for both of us, I think, because uh, we first read Dirty Laundry together, like, got over a year ago, and neither of us had read Secret Life of Bees. Um, so to come back to the story that we, we already knew, uh, like, the broad plot beats of this fanfic, and decided to look into the Secret Life of Beasley because it's explicitly referenced in the fanfic, uh, so Siobhan wanted to track down whether or not that had any bearing on this. I thought and... I thought it would just be like, oh, maybe we can get like a second segment out of this and I could I could read it and I could talk about it, but like halfway right. through reading it, I was like, Kester, you have to fucking read this. You will not fucking <laughs> believe this. It's just it's just dirty laundry. Cuz uh, I don't know about you, but I assumed it was going to be like a there was going to be some sort of thematic connection that it was, mm. it was going to be like that. Like, um, oh, you know, secret life of bees before I read it, I, 
I probably would have said, oh yeah, it's some sort of like found family narrative and this fanfic is also like a found family narrative, so... I mean, it is, but the comparison it makes at the end is like so on the nose and and tenuous. And we're going to be saying on the nose a lot when we we read this fic. Let's let's stop beating around the bush. Let's let's just uh, describe what dirty laundry is. And I'm reading this from um, fanlore.org because I okay. I'm pretty. This uh this actually summarizes it pretty succinctly. Although it is incredibly biased, as you will um. (laughs) Okay. Uh, and and I'll just read the first part of this, and we can read um, the rest is like a second segment sometime. Um, but uh, actually, uh, first let me read the summary to this fic. Two whole months of free laundry in exchange for two weeks of being my fake boyfriend. Deal? Keith hesitated for a moment. Was this really worth it? Hardly. Lance was an asshole, and he wasn't sure what fake dating would entail. But free laundry was free laundry, right? All right. It's a deal. And this is um, by Gibbs Life on AO3. Um, I'm not really sure how to talk about the author here because... Well, I mean, this is kind of a new situation for us. Yeah. Uh, they don't go by uh, Gibbs Life anymore. Um, but if you type that into Google, you can find their new account. And and now let me read the uh, fan lore description of the, of the fic. Uh, Dirty Laundry by okay. Gibbs Slythe is a very popular early Clance fic originally hosted on Archive of Our Own. It is a modern, mundane AU in which Clance and Keith fake date and get together. It began after the first season of Voltron Legendary Defender and was sometimes referred to as the Clance Bible. Uh, no, that was a different thing. Uh, because it cemented a lot <laughs> oh, of early fanon okay. for the ship. No, the... the... <sighs> I think the Clance Bible Did and it? the Clible are two different things, but you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into that unless you were like in the fandom. You won't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what it also what doesn't you're talking matter. About. In the fic, Lance's surname was Sanchez, and he was Mexican American. Head cannons, which were Jost in the show's later season. Mm-hmm. And uh, here you can see where it gets a little biased. <laughs> Yeah. In late July 2016, a number of fans, primarily on Tumblr, began to complain that the fic was racist in its portrayal of Lance's Mexican-American background and family, and that it was also ableist in its portrayal of a minor autistic original character. Dirty Laundry's Mm -hmm. originally fast and reliable update schedule was interrupted, going through rewrites to correct some of the content that had been called out before the rest of the story was published in one shot at the end of October 2016. (laughs) I like how it's like... Some fans found the portrayal of Lance's Mexican-American background and family racist. It's, um, a number of fans, primarily on Tumblr, began to complain that the fic was racist. Yeah, it was It was only to people on Tumblr uh, that it was racist. It, it wasn't just kind of racist in general, which was something that people picked up on, perhaps. And it wasn't that this conversation happened on Tumblr, because a lot of fandom conversations happen on Tumblr. No, it was those cr- crazy Tumblr users are at it again. It was replaced with the script of B-Movie, and then deleted in August 2018, but not before gaining the highest kudos count of any MM work on AO3 in March 2017. Hmm. So, let me give you you a, a, like, rundown of its popularity. In late July 2016, Dirty Laundry was so popular it overtook the Clance tag on Tumblr. On July 26, Give Scythe asked her readers not to flood the tag, I want to respect their space. We are all part of the (laughs) fandom and want to honor that. Later, she updated this request and asked people to use the tags VLD Dirty Laundry, a fake Dirty Laundry, because the Dirty Laundry tag was apparently also used for some unrelated NSFW things. Hmm. I can't imagine what. 
And this is the last thing I want to read on this page right now. Mm-hmm. Several people printed out physical copies. One fan printed it off on a- of AO3 and put it in a three-ring binder, while another had it printed as a paperback, and a third had it spiral-bound. Its popularity was probably influenced <laughs> by its quick reliably... <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's all I'm reading <laughs> for now. This is why Wikipedia has rules about uh, bias and notability. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anyway. <laughs> but anyway, um, it gives you, that gives you a rundown. Okay, so what what do you think of that? Well, it sounds like uh, they're coming on the side of uh, they're coming down on the side of it's it's good because it's fan fiction, and we okay. like that. So. One of the other conversations I saw while doing, like, a little bit of research into this story, and keep in mind, um, you have absolutely no experience in the Voltron fandom whatsoever. Correct. I was absolutely in the Voltron fandom, um, when the show was going on, but after, like, season seven, when it, Mm -hmm. uh, appeared that the show was just, like, taking a nosedive, I kind of jumped off of it and was like, yeah, whatever, this sucks. Um, but I was pretty into it. I was not into the fanfic Dirty Laundry uh, mm-hmm. but you were aware of it, right? I was fully aware of One it of because, those... like, every time you would make a, a like a meta post about something, someone would tag, reblog, and be like, "Oh my god, this is just like dirty laundry." <laughs> okay, yeah. So, like, I was aware of um, dirty laundry against my will, mm-hmm. and I think I probably looked into it, but didn't really find it that interesting, and didn't look closely enough to discover how bad the writing is because in doing my research i also found someone uh, saying like after all this was over maybe like a 2021 post by someone who was like yeah dirty laundry is a good fanfic for white people but i'm white people (laughs) and i hate this fic and it's so bad yeah i'm not really sure what to add to that i guess except to say that um for clarity, uh, we did say this last time when we talked about covering this fanfic in the first place, but uh, this is not a troll fic. Uh, someone wrote this seriously. And this uh, this person was also, I believe, uh, like, 17 when they wrote this? Mm-hmm. So there's absolutely... So it's not, it's not the sort of thing that I normally feel that comfortable going after, except that this is, like, the most notable Clance fanfiction. Yes, like, it is. There is fan art. There is fan fiction based off of it. There is, like, I, I don't know how to describe to you guys how popular this fic is. Like, obviously, that, that wiki article is written with bias, but the fact that someone is even willing to, like, uh, go to bat for this fanfic like that uh, says something to you. Like, this is a fanfic that has fans. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, like you were saying, there was so much of this that they flooded, like, the main ship tag. Mm-hmm. People were forced to be aware of this against their will. Like, it's kind of rare for a fanfic to get that popular. Like, I definitely know from having been in fandoms that there there will be, like, a few popular fanfics that nearly everyone has read, but for them to take over a ship tag like that is pretty crazy. Uh, you don't see that happen every day. Uh, so I think the fact that the story got so big, like, that says something about fandom. It's so big. There are memes that are based off of this fic that were just tossed around. Like, they were just... It's... I... Like, there's so many things I want to say, but... uh, One thing I'll say before we get into this is... The mm-hmm. author was 17 at this time. Uh, they were very young. They were a minor, clearly. Um, 
and there is a certain amount of lenience that you can give someone because of their age and their inexperience. But after the fic was erased, all, all, all that's left is people talking about how it was so awful how the author got death threats and so much vitriol and criticism for the fic. And yes, that is true. None of that is justified. Um, telling a 17-year-old to kill themselves over a fanfic is is not justified. Right. There's but... no circumstance under which that's okay. Uh, but... But that, that, that doesn't mean that the fic is good or that the stuff written in the fic isn't problematic or that the fic itself isn't, like, absolutely awful. Because it is. And I have yeah. talked to people who were in this... Like, who were in in this argument. I've talked to other autistic people who found the portrayal of the autistic character to be very ableist. And mm -hmm. Latino people who found the portrayal of Lance's family to be racist. And yeah. they all say that when they brought their complaints to the author or voiced their opinion in the fandom, it was all met with backlash from people who liked the fic. And the author uh, frequently, there there were some things that the author absolutely did remedy. Like, uh, this is not the fic as it was posted on AO3 originally. There is a part mm. of, well, I want to, I guess we should bring this up now. Um, there was a part with okay. uh, La Chancla, which is um, the shoe, which uh, I, basically it, it's referring to and making light of uh, abuse, physical abuse that is normalized oh. within Latino households. And this is like, yes, it is a problem, but it's not for people who are not uh, a part of that culture to go in and start talking about. And from what I understand, it it was kind of treated as a, as a joke in the fic itself. Oh, yeah. I don't think you told me about this before. <laughs> uh, no, it, it got me. But yeah, that's that's... Uh, obviously out of lane. Yeah, and it got memed. Like, there was artwork of Allura chasing uh, Lance around with a oh. shoe. Like, that that's the kind of stuff that this fic uh, encouraged. Even if it was unintentional. Yeah, and that sucks on multiple levels. Yeah. Um. That's that's really not good at all. I didn't know that. But yeah, I guess, I guess what I wanted to add on to that uh, is like, I don't really want to go after the author. I have no idea um, what they're like as a person. Um, they wrote this when they were a kid in high school, presumably. Um, but I think we can go after this as a work of fiction. Um, and it's about more than just the author, because this um, caught on with the fandom. This was popular within the fandom, and I think that says something about the kind of writing that's considered acceptable and good in these spaces. Yes, this is the Clance fanfic. This is the fanfic that is held up as the Clance fanfic, the quality Clance fanfic by people who are saying that fanfic should be treated as an art form. And I'm not as I'm, literature. And I'm not saying that that's incorrect. But this why don't we just get into it? Yeah, I think I think fanfic totally can be an art form, but this ain't it. Yeah, <laughs> this is not it. Yeah, <laughs> I think maybe we should leave it at there. Uh, I thought for now because we'll get way too ahead of ourselves. 
Uh, and, okay, so this fic is way too long to read word for word. Uh, like, it would take forever. It would take, like, 50 episodes because we have so much to say about everything. So we're just going over in summary, and we're going to be talking about it a lot. Today we're covering the first half of part one. Yeah, so this uh, this fanfic is divided into eight parts. They are called parts and not chapters, and in fairness uh, to that naming convention, they're not really chapters. Um, none of them are, like, uh, they don't have any sense of being self-contained at all. The story could kind of pick up and resume whenever. Uh, there are occasional scene breaks... Which are indicated uh, with, like, um, it'll be, like, uh, day one, uh, 3, uh, 28 p.m. Like... Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a choice, but it it does kind of mean that the story feels long as hell, because there's no real natural, like, uh, stopping points. It is long as hell. It is long as hell. Um, each of these parts... Uh, runs on uh, uh runs like much longer than uh a fan fiction chapter normally does and i also want to say that we are looking at this fic on wattpad it was reposted and wattpad yes. if you don't know has this feature where you can comment on individual lines <laughs> i don't want to go overboard with this but when we we might talk about certain lines where oh this person commented that because some of the comments are very funny i mean all of them are pretty funny they're all very stupid but it's just, it's just very telling because uh, there are parts of the story where uh, we can check for exactly what the fandom reaction to this was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love having that little insight. Uh, it is extremely <laughs> telling. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will be fair to the commenters. Uh, most of them are clearly 14. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> however. And I don't I, don't I think say... it just, there's a broader pattern of behavior here. I'm not going after anyone in particular. Yeah, when I when I say uh, that the comments are all very stupid, I don't mean that in a really mean way. I like fanfic, you are allowed to be make stupid comments on your fanfic uh that has this pair that you like. Like you're you're yeah, allowed to Yeah. Do yeah, you can you can be stupid about your your fictional gay boys. It's fine. Um yeah. but <laughs> I think in terms of, like, discussing the fandom reaction to the story, uh, it's very, uh, enlightening to have that feature. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get the show on the road. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I've just written up a summary of this first part that we're going to talk about. Um, I figure we'll just kind of loop back around and cover some scenes in more detail. There may be excerpts that we want to read, but I'll just give us the summary to set the scene so we're all on the same page as what happens. Uh, I tried to write this with uh, zero editorializing, which was difficult because <laughs> yeah. you want to editorialize every second of this, but this is as objective as I could possibly be. This is what happens. Okay, so uh, to set the stage, this is a college AU story set in the present day. The original premise and plot of Voltron is not relevant here. Characters who are canonically teenagers are aged up to college age. Uh, we don't get precise er ages for most of them, but what's important is that Keith and Lance are 20. The main cast of Voltron are all part of the same college friend group and have a group chat together. As this story was written between seasons 1 and 2 in his alternate universe, uh, the author had a limited amount of canon to work off of and seems to have based much of their interpretation of the characters off of fanon and or guesswork. Uh, for example, what Siobhan mentioned about uh, Lance being 
portrayed as Mexican in the story. Uh, all that was known about him at this point, I think, was that he is Latino. Lance, Lance is Cuban, canonically, just to say. But this was information that was not revealed until uh, season two. Or actually, it was revealed when uh, Jeremy Shada uh, accidentally told everybody. But, um, I, <laughs> but I apart think, from that. Yeah, I think the intention was to reveal it with the booklet, that which I do have, um, which states okay. everyone's like ethnicity and height and everything. Um, but yeah, this was information that was not known. And so... All the author had to go off of was that Lance was Latino, which is... Yeah. So, working off either their personal assumption or fanon or a combination of both, they arrived at Lance being uh, Mexican. That was their takeaway from him being Latino, I guess. Um, and uh, Keith is a foster kid in the story who was born in Korea, uh, which I think... Uh, this was like uh Phantom also was this like uh is his voice actor Korean was that it uh yeah his voice actor is uh Steven Yun who is Korean oh, okay. and so the headcanon was partially based off of this so I mean it's a pretty popular headcanon for Keith's character even to this day because his race is actually uh it's just not addressed in the show right yeah it's not addressed in the show um okay so just just for background uh that's that's the uh, basic premise of the story. Uh, the story opens with Lance messaging the group chat in distress and then meeting up with the others at the campus library. He's gotten himself into a bit of a predicament. Christmas break is coming up and he'll be spending the holidays with his family, including his abuela. Lance is openly bisexual, having, coming out, having come out to his family as a high schooler. And while most of his family doesn't have an issue with this, his abuela is homophobic uh, slash biphobic and keeps pressuring him to bring home a girlfriend. This year, Lance reacted to those comments by saying that he's bringing home a boyfriend instead. Lance is single. <laughs> now that he's lied about having a boyfriend to his family, he feels like he has to keep up the ruse by actually bringing a boy home with him for Christmas. He's hoping one of his friends will be willing to play the part. Keith doesn't have plans for, for the holidays, he was just going to stay on campus, so his friends volunteer him for the role. Keith isn't exactly eager, one gets the sense that he views Lance as annoying and only hangs out with him because they're part of the same friend group. Lance keeps begging him to go along with it, however, and Keith eventually makes a deal with Lance that he'll pretend to be Lance's boyfriend for two weeks if Lance does his laundry for two months to make up for it. The drive from their college to Lance's family home in Mesa del Caballo, Arizona, is 19 hours. They're making the trip in Lance's 1987 Toyota Corolla. Everything about the road trip bothers Keith. He doesn't like Lance's car, he doesn't like Lance's taste in music, he doesn't like that they'll be eating McDonald's for every meal along the way and stopping every couple of hours for bathroom breaks. Complaining aside, the trip goes fairly smoothly. After driving through the night, they reach Lance's family home the following morning. We learn that Mesa del Caballo is a small town and that many people here are farmers. Lance's family, the Sanchez's, aren't. They run the general store, but they do keep chickens and a goat. And this is probably a good time to give a rundown of everyone who lives at the Sanchez home. So we have uh, Rosa Sanchez, who's Lance's mother and the family matriarch. She's described as short, round, a bit hot-tempered, very loving and welcoming towards Keith. Uh, I'll just she's say Molly she's basically Weasley. Molly Weasley. Yep. <laughs> oh my um, god! <laughs> we're both right. Um, then we have Jamie Sanchez, uh, who's Lance's dad, uh, husband of Rosa. He's a tall, quiet man who acts polite around Keith, though Keith can tell Jamie isn't entirely comfortable with his presence. Uh, then we have uh, 
Daniel Sanchez, who's the oldest child of Rosa and Jamie. Uh, he is married himself with uh, two young children. Uh, his wife is Rachel. Uh, Lance has a younger brother, Benji, <gasps> who's <Rachel>. 16. <laughs> That's right. You... This is this is uh, where she ended up. <laughs> you thought she was going to choose either Denmark or Inuyasha, but instead... <laughs> Yeah, um, and she she didn't end up going with uh, Mr. Uh, Hotwood after yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, huh? Interesting. <laughs> yeah, she she wound up with uh, Daniel Sanchez. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy how that happened. Um, anyway, uh, Lance's younger brother uh, Benji, who's sixteen. Uh, Benji's very scrawny and frail looking, but otherwise looks and acts much like a younger Lance. Uh, the two are evidently very close. Uh, he has a younger sister, Cleo, who is fourteen. Uh, she's an important role to play in later chapters, but she isn't present very much early in the story. She's the author insert. The youngest of uh, Lance's siblings is Josie, who is nine. Um, then there's uh, Daniel and Rachel's kids are Mateo, who is five, and Isabella, who is two. Uh, the family also has uh, several pets. They have a goat, Cinderella... A dog named Terminator, a cat, uh, Lord Voldemort, Morty for short, uh, iguana named Greedo, and uh, they also have a bunch of chickens who all have silly names. Uh, None of them are really worth mentioning. Keith is thrown off by the family dynamic. As a foster kid who bounced between different homes growing up, this environment is foreign to him. Still, Lance's family is overall very welcoming, with Mateo in particular taking a shine to Keith immediately. When Benji and Lance greet each other, they get into a playful wrestling match, which Benji wins. Keith is surprised since Benji is younger, smaller, and sickly looking, and later when he and Lance are alone, he mocks Lance for losing to his little brother. Lance's attitude turns cold, and he tells Keith that he let Benji win, but doesn't elaborate further. Lance and Keith go upstairs to Lance's bedroom, at which point they learn that they'll be sharing a bed for the duration of the winter break. Lance used to have a bunk bed, and had thus assumed he and Keith could sleep separately, but while he was away at college, the bunk bed was given to Josie, leaving him with a single twin bed that they'll have to share. While talking in Lance's room, Lance reveals to Keith that he has another sibling, an older sister Sophia, who is now estranged from the family. Keith is curious, but Lance declines to explain further. Uh, At this point, Keith falls asleep, uh, and we're cutting it off here because uh, part one continues... Uh, but it's a new scene, and this is as good a stopping point as any. All right. So first I want to comment on the group chat. Um, the group chat is okay. named Lance is Kinkier Than Shiro, which <laughs> is a big no-no for me. Because, listen, in the first season, it's not clear uh, what age mm-hmm. Shiro is. Uh, but it was obvious to me and a lot of other people that he was clearly an adult, probably in his mid-twenties, and... We get some information, yeah. Uh, like around the time season two was released, that he's twenty five. Um, this is not appropriate. I I know the author didn't know, but it it just doesn't. It's confusing too because I don't know if Shiro is still older than them. Yeah. In this one. I don't know if they're like uh, all the same age in this or not, because. <laughs> It's an alternate universe, and uh, most of the characters are aged up to college age. I don't know if he's aged down to be their peer, or if he's just, like, a 25-year-old who also hangs out with them. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not going to fault the (laughs) author for that, because they didn't know, and a lot of other people didn't know as well. Um, But, 
it's just kind of gross. It's just a weird way to open the story. Yeah, like, I immediately um, have questions about <laughs> about what's going on here. Yeah, okay. So, uh, the the screen names are uh, Keith is Fire Lord, which is a terrible yeah. and not unique <laughs> name. Which, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that could actually be in character for him. Because it's like... Yeah, I mean, we didn't have a lot to go off of in season one. Uh, but he's... He, he seems he seems like a little bit of a cringy edgelord, so. And uh, uh, Shiro's is choke me, daddy, which doesn't um. Huh. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna skip over that. I missed that part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that impression from him. I mean, I know he's like a daddy dom in the fandom, but what does this oh. say about his personality? <laughs> I didn't know that, but. Yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> I guess it figures though. He's he's the older older guy. He's twenty five. God, <laughs> they're treating him like he's an old man. He could be the same um, age as them in this fic, but the name the screen name seems to be a joke, and I don't really get this impression from the few lines that he has in this fic. Um, that he he would have a name like that, unless that's the joke. Where they're like, hey, you have to make your name this. And he's like, okay. And just does it. Which would be funny, but we're not actually got given that characterization. So it's just kind of very out of place here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh... Lance's name is President Taquito um, because he's Mexican. Yeah, get it? Yeah, just like my uh, my screen name on Discord is Latka and yours is Potato. Um, <laughs> Pidges is Pigeon. Hunks is mm -hmm. Hunky Monkey, and Allura's is Princess Fuckboy Killer, because she's black, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, we were we were, do uh, we were uh, watching Voltron, because uh, I got it, I had to show it to Kester, uh, so we could get the context, I guess, for this fic. And uh, the first thing you said to me, like, a minute after Allura showed up and started talking, <laughs> is, hmm, she doesn't really give me the Princess Fuckboy Killer vibes. No, not at all. <laughs> if you've never seen Voltron, she's very posh, and uh, she's she's a great character, really. Uh, she's one of the best parts of the show. Uh, what how yeah, the fandom? I liked and, her. Yeah, how the fandom and the narrative treat treated her is disgusting. Um, uh, and this is actually a prime example of how the fandom treats her is pretty much boiling her down to a sassy black character. Um, uh, which, to be clear, has n nothing to do with how she's actually written whatsoever. Yeah, like, if that was her personality, then fine, but it's not. This is literally just her screen name because she's black. There's nothing else that the joke could possibly be. Yeah. Because it, it has nothing to do with what she's actually like as a character. Mm-hmm. It, it's just... <laughs> I I kind of thought that, like, maybe she she did have a bit of, like, a sassy streak or, or something um that i don't know uh sh she was at least a bit snarky no not at all but she's really not she's not someone i can i can imagine in any context uh <laughs> using that as a screen name <laughs> so the second paragraph of the real fic well actually the first paragraph of the real fic if i want to say it has uh my biggest pet peeve of this whole fic, and it's the word obviously. Every time somebody is doing something, it always says obviously. Keith shut, shut his phone off and slid against the back of his cushion chair, obviously irritated. If it's obvious, you don't have to say it. Also, right. this is from this, uh, I mean, this 
Fick has no idea what it's doing with the um, perspective, but for the most part, uh-huh. it's in third person limited and Keith is the narrator. Uh, so if it's obvious, so you don't need to say obviously because it, you could just say irritated because it's him and he knows if he's irritated or not. This perspective in this fic is ungodly confusing because I would say most of the time it reads like it's third person limited from Keith's perspective Except that it sometimes uh, talks about him as though it's observing him from the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. And at other times, uh, it gives us the internal perspectives of other characters. Uh, the narrator also sometimes addresses the audience, <laughs> uh, which we'll get into when it happens, because it's very annoying. Yeah, and we both hate it. It's incredibly annoying. That's my second... Actually, you know what? That is my biggest pet peeve, is the narrator uh, directly addressing the audience. Yeah, can we get into that when we get into that, though? Like, yeah, yeah, We're yeah. going to need to pick an example, because there's so much I hate about that. But <laughs> if... we have to get into why. Um, It may seem like a nitpick that we're pointing out, like, oh, well, it you don't need to say obviously if he was irritated. It's like, no, it's constant. You don't understand. The word obvious or obviously occurs so many times in the story that if we were to do a drinking game, we we would be dead. Yeah. It really, it happens so many times that I think even a cursory, like, proofread of this would have, would have caught that. It's all the time. Um, I think we are going to have to do an obvious count and count up how many times the word is actually used in the story, but, uh... Until such time as we've done that, just trust us when we say it's a fucking lot. Yeah, we'll do we'll do like a count at the end of every episode. Um, yeah, yeah. So the next thing that happens is uh, Keith thinks about <laughs> how much he hates Naruto. Uh, yes. And and it says uh, he despised Naruto more than any other ridiculous anime. Paragraph. There's no break. period at the end of the sentence. <laughs> Par- yeah. Paragraph break. Lance wasted his time on. Keith couldn't even remember the amount of times Lance had ushered him into watching his cartoons, usually with Japanese subtitles and excessive amounts of screaming. Um, Lance has invented the funniest possible way to watch anime. Uh, he's apparently watching the the English dub, but with Japanese subtitles. Okay. Odd. <laughs> Wait, are you and like and excessive amounts of screaming? Are you saying that the characters are screaming, or, or is Keith and Lance screaming at the show? Because it could be either one. <laughs> That's him trying to follow along, and he's like, wait, slow down, I can't read the kanji that fast. <laughs> so, already I'm confused about Keith and Lance's relationship, because Keith, like, yep. seems to not like Lance at all, and they seem to only be mutual friends, but they know each other well enough that they have uh, watched cartoons together many times, and it doesn't mention that all of them were watching cartoons together, which would be a normal thing to do in, like, a friend group. Uh, Lance has specifically ushered Keith into watching anime with him, which Keith hates. But Keith doesn't like anime. Yeah. And there's a way that this could work. Like... Yeah, because when we say it like that, that's actually a hilarious relationship setup. Yeah, but it's not, it's not, it's, it's not written... Like, believe me, it's not intended that way. Uh, it, like, I, I totally get how this could work. Like, Keith mm-hmm. and Lance think that they don't like each other, but 
they really do like each other and so lance wants to share something with that means a lot to him with keith which is naruto um right and so he forces him to watch it and even though keith doesn't like it he's like well i can see that this is important to you and this is kind of bonding time as friends like sometimes with a friend you watch something that you don't really like because you like spending time with that friend and you like you want to see the thing that's important to them this is not the well impression. It's, what's, it's what's clearly implied by that setup because it's like why why are you watching anime with him then if you don't like watching anime <laughs> you don't like watching anime um, or w- with him <laughs> right it's like you clearly want to be around him for some reason yeah but that's it, it's not really framed that way that's not the impression i get from the way that it's phrased in the in the paragraph itself anyway well yeah because it's it's like uh then this is completely irrelevant to their uh dynamic with each other going forward this is not like a we like hanging out with each other for reasons neither of us can quite articulate uh so we have this pretext which is us watching anime together like that's not the dynamic mm-hmm. uh let me just read you a little paragraph here so you can get an impression of mm-hmm. how bad the writing is yes It wasn't until a few minutes later that the sound of Lance's cries echoed from the other side of the library. Keith watched as a hysteric Lance came sprinting from behind the corner of a bookshelf, nearly pinning a girl and a librarian in the process. Keith chuckled when when the librarian almost killed Lance, the older woman scolding him with a pointed finger. Where do we start? This is a juicy one. Um, okay, so... (laughs) So first of all... Um, this is, uh, an attempt at writing slapstick comedy. Uh Uh-huh. These are visual comedy tropes. They do not work in prose. If I imagine how the scene would look in a movie, or a cartoon, like Voltron, perhaps, then yes, I can see how this would be funny. Uh, it's not funny to actually read. You would have to have at least, like, comic timing or something in the prose to, to carry this. It's not written in a funny way. Um, it's just that we understand that the scenario that's being described would be funny if you watched it. Um, also, that last line, Keith chuckled when the librarian almost killed Lance, the older woman scolding him with a pointed finger. I, I go through a roller coaster with this line every time because it's, it starts off, uh, Keith is, Keith is laughing. Uh, he's laughing and Lance has nearly been killed by a librarian. Like... <laughs> <laughs> that's fucked up do you hate the guy that much but then it turns out uh that he was in he was in no mortal peril whatsoever uh he's merely being told off for running in the library which is completely justified um and i don't know why we're acting like she's a witch for it uh because this author hates old women they're all f- oh did you notice that <laughs> yeah um that's a real theme in this story yeah we're already uh, we'll getting get back to it we're, we're already get- like i mean she her reaction is completely justified like you said uh she all she's yes. doing is scolding him with a pointed finger for uh pinning a girl and a librarian <laughs> in the process um like he almost ran into them he could have hurt them yeah and the lance in the he nearly pinned them <laughs> Whatever that means. The Lance in, in the show would be extremely apologetic about this. Uh, so he already he's out of character. But whatever. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So at this point, um, do, do you want me to read this or just summarize? Uh, you going can forward? summarize if you want. Okay, so, um, so from here, this is where Lance uh, 
who is very distraught and uh, shouting and uh, carrying on and acting like it's the end of the world all through the scene. Um, and again, it's very slapsticky. Right. He's making a huge scene uh, in a library. Uh, he is not written as a convincing 20-year-old, I will say, which is another recurring theme here. Uh, the characters are supposedly aged up, but don't really act like they're 20. Um, but he explains the basic predicament, which... Uh, well, let me just explain it how he does. Uh, he takes a while to get to his point when he's telling the story, because he's, he's very distressed and he's rambling. But he starts off uh, by explaining that while his family is mostly kind of, uh, I guess, ambivalent on the subject of his bisexuality, uh, his abuela is, uh, he says, she's super against it, extremely so. And he goes on to say that uh, she is mad that he has never brought home a girlfriend. And... So, in response to this familial pressure to bring home a girl for Christmas, Lance has responded and told his mother that he is bringing home a boy for Christmas. Uh, that he has a boyfriend. Uh, and this is, this is lies, he is single. But I don't know why he commits to this in the way that he does. It would have been very easy for him to walk it back with his mom, who we do know is supportive and understanding, um, and say, hey, I don't actually have a boyfriend that I'm bringing home. Um, I just said that so you'd stop bothering me about the girlfriend thing. Or, if he wants to keep up the lie, but knows that he has no one to bring home with him to play the part, he could say that his boyfriend is spending Christmas with his family. <laughs> Or he could lie about them breaking up, or any number of things. Like, <laughs> I mean, as a concept, I, I think this is very funny. It, 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 he's like, it would be. Uh, m uh, what I'm kind of getting at here is that it would be very funny if this was the joke. If the yeah, joke exactly. was that he has um, decided he out. has to follow through. Even though there are multiple easy ways out of the scenario. Yeah, and what he's doing is making the situation way worse. And he's making the situation way worse. And I think I would like it better if this was specifically the plan he sprung on Keith, because then it would be a, a bit of a pretense where it's yeah, like, yeah. he already likes Keith, but he can't really acknowledge it. But there's a reason why he wants him for this plan specifically and not any of his other friends. Mm -hmm. And Keith goes along with it, even though it's a stupid plan. Because there's a reason he'd like to pretend to be Lance's boyfriend. Like, yeah. that would be so easy. Yeah. But that's not what happens. Can I just point uh, out, a, a, like, a very slapsticky <laughs> yes. thing, again, again, uh, that mm -hmm. I am super bothered by. Lance pushed a finger against Keith's lips to shush him. If someone you didn't like put their dirty finger <laughs> against your lips, yeah, how would you react? <laughs> See, this is another thing that it's like, if they do... Uh, have unacknowledged feelings for each other, then I buy this. Mm -hmm. If this was part of a point about how Keith is uh, comfortable with the degree of physical intimacy with Lance that is weird between friends, 
Yeah. You know, people who are just casual friends in the same friend group, you understand. They don't really like each other. They're uh, occasionally um, somehow forced into watching anime together, even though they hate it. But Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) apart from that, uh, they're totally just acquaintances, really. If that was the point that this was meant to underline... Uh, then I would get it, but I know that's not the point, because this isn't a recurring thing, and it's never uh, lampshaded in such a way that I would know that that's the intent. And when something is author intent in the story, the narration just directly tells us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very like Secret Life of Bees in that, in that sense. Uh, in that sense, it is extremely like The Secret Life of Bees. Um, but, you know, I think we can speak very confidently about the author intent with the story, because the author directly states their intent in narration. Yeah, um, constantly. Constantly. Even when uh, those statements uh, run against what my read of the story would otherwise be. I'm reading um, over this uh, right now, and I'm thinking, hey, this this isn't like nearly as bad as the writing later on. Did you notice that going back? Yeah. <laughs> it does slip, and I think part of it is, well, I mean, we'll get to it when we get to the later chapters, but I think, uh, for now, what I'll say is I think the author's trying too hard to imitate uh, the narrative style of Secret Life of Bees, um, which I should mention, we'll talk about Secret Life of Bees more like later, we'll get to that, but uh, Secret Life of Bees has first-person narration, and yeah. the narrator is 14. Yes. So a certain amount of narrator directly addressing the audience and narrator rambling and spelling out the exact point are expected because she's a character in the story and she's 14 years old. The Secret Life of Bees is also a young adult novel, and this yes. is a fic written for mature audiences. I think there was a... Although it's absolutely written like YA. Oh, oh my yeah. god. But I, I say that because it, there was intended to be a very uh, explicit sex scene um, that the writer was planning on writing. And I, I don't know if they actually did or released it separately, but... Well, that's that's one thing I was going to say about the group chat at the beginning, is mm-hmm. uh, my only... Uh, real reason I could think of for why you'd put something like that at the start of the story is just kind of a, a way of indicating at the start like uh this story is going to have explicit content in it if the group chat is if their name is already a sex joke it's like okay that's the level we're operating on as baseline yeah there will be sex jokes in the story uh you know that right from the beginning this story doesn't really get raunchy uh there's one scene that's kind of horny i mean there's there's a few scenes that that have horny aspects but uh there's no there's no sex in the story. Yeah. Which is good, because I don't want to read this author's attempts at writing a sex scene, at least not a, during the period when they wrote this story, but um, it does often feel as though it's gearing up to be more raunchy than it actually is. Maybe part of that's the title. Yeah. I was expecting the laundry to be dirtier, but <laughs> it's it's really pretty... It's pretty PG. Moving along, uh, they have some banter for a little bit and and Pidge uh suggests that Keith be Lance's fake boyfriend and let me read this paragraph everyone mm-hmm. but Keith who was honestly super oblivious noticed the large patch of red that was growing on Lance's cheeks it was vibrant against his dark skin and anyone could tell again except Keith that Lance was embarrassed and actually debating the idea in his head 
Wow, once again, I have multiple things I want to nitpick here. Don't, don't do parentheses. Well, I don't know if we have quite the same take on it, but I think if you're going to do parentheticals in narration, since that's not like a typical way people narrate, that becomes like sort of a narrative quirk, and that works if your narrator is a character, but the narrator in this isn't a character. Uh, so it's, it just, it's just a weird stylistic choice. This, it's not really a choice, it's just like the author thinks that this is normal. This is didn't read enough books syndrome. Yeah, um, Lance also doesn't have dark skin. He has pretty medium brown skin. But the skin color, you'll you'll notice that everyone's skin color is brought up so many times in this fic. It's kind of like the author expects uh, <laughs> us to like forget uh, what everyone looks like between scenes. Yeah. Um, which I, I know fan fiction tends to do this a lot and they do it with hair color too. It's, it just, it gets kind of weird when the story is constantly reminding me what skin color everyone is. Like, why is that relevant? Why are you bringing that up all the time? I know, I know what they look like. So in, in this first, I don't want to say chapter, but I guess you could say day mm -hmm. zero, um, Keith is written, I could say, like, yeah, I could see this, the Keith in the show acting like this, um, because he really does, uh, seem to be, like, kind of, uh, not very socially apt, uh, we, we talked about this before, and we'll talk about it later, too, but, um, yes. we aren't actually given that much information about Keith in the first season. He's very, he's a very mysterious character, and it, it is gearing up for a revelation, which is a problem in Voltron's writing, because they, uh, foreshadow something, uh, a tiny bit before it is revealed, and then reveal it all at once, and it's, well, it's... Yeah, we get very <laughs> little about Keith in, uh, season one. I've only seen season one. Yeah. Um, and I just recently saw it, and also, um, probably, uh, about half of it escaped my memory immediately <laughs> after watching. But Keith is overall, like, the most out of focus of the main cast. Yeah. Uh, in the first season, I would say. Uh, so he's a little bit of a blank slate character to fanfiction writers in this period. Uh you can you have room to interpret there because we weren't given a lot. Yeah, but the thing is, the things that we are given about his character are the opposite of how he is written in this story. Yes. Yes, which is why it's incredible uh because there was very little that we actually had to comply to uh in terms of making him read like the same guy. What we're given in the actual show is quite bare bones and uh even that wasn't kept. Yeah. Uh he essentially becomes a wholly different character uh, over the course of the story, which I guess is just because he needs to... Um, he needs to be the sensitive twin. Uh, he needs he needs to um, also be the protagonist of A Secret Life of Bees. Yeah, uh-huh. Like, in this, in this paragraph, uh, it pretty much outright states that Keith is not very emotionally intelligent and cannot read uh, facial expressions very well. Um... Which isn't consistent with his character in the later chapters at all, because he kind of... But kinda... also, at other points, it's yeah. hard to tell, because we can't tell if an insight in the narration is Keith's insight or the narrator's. Yeah, and we don't know who the narrator is. I guess the author right. speaking directly be, to us. It just becomes very muddled. Uh, there's definitely examples of this we can pull out when we get to them. It might be hard to describe what we mean otherwise. 
backing up a little bit from that, uh, when Lance is uh, trying to find someone to agree to be his fake boyfriend, uh, Keith is actually not the first person he asks. He asks Shiro first, and that's a little bit of a recurring thing in this, uh, the idea that uh, Lance uh, has or had a crush on Shiro, um, which was, was that also... I'm guessing that was also a ship. Unfortunately, yes. But I can I can give the author a yeah. pass on this one because we didn't know Shiro's age at the time when this fic was released. Yeah, that's that's uh that's fair. And I, I also like um I don't think teenagers think about things from that angle often, which you know, I'm not saying that justifies it, but that does explain Yeah. Uh why this happens in uh fan bases that skew young uh that stuff like age gaps get disregarded because the people involved uh don't they don't realize how young they are dynamic looks right they don't get what that would look like from the older person's side um but you know he he asks uh shiro um and shiro says he already has other plans um and uh he he next asks uh Pidge, and I guess we should mention, um Pidge's gender is a kind of a whole thing in uh the Voltron fandom. Um Well, I don't think it really matters because Pidge never really shows up again uh in the rest of the story, but um Yeah, but I I think we should just mention just yeah. uh because if we ever talk about Pidge uh in this fic, uh, we should clarify that uh, this author has interpreted Pidge as non-binary and has Pidge using they-them pronouns. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not really sure why, given that context, uh, Lance asks Pidge to pretend <laughs> to be his boyfriend. It's like, Pidge is not a, <laughs> Pidge is Pidge not is... a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you pretend to be a boy and also my boyfriend? <laughs> Um, if I do your laundry for, for a month, please. Uh, to their credit, their response is not a chance, and then they get up and leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... which, which is, like, uh, I want to say, like, their response to Lance uh, begging Keith to be his fake boyfriend uh, is would be funny if it wasn't for, you know what, let me just read my version of this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, Lance Wind, I'll do anything Keith raised an eyebrow. Having Lance indebted to him didn't sound half bad. Keith spoke slowly. Anything? At all? I'm out of here before Lance is sold into sucking Keith's dick. Pidge swung around on their <laughs> heels harshly. Okay, well, now you you made that sound like like it's a solid scene, so yeah, I think we, uh, now, we're now going I'll... to need to read it as it's actually written. Um. <laughs> Please, Lance whined, drawing out the vowels long and profusely. I know. You put a bunch of E's in there. Long and profusely. I'll, okay, I'll just read this without editorializing. Please, Lance Wine, drawing out the vowels long and profusely. I'll do anything. This sparked Keith's interest, and he raised an eyebrow. Having Lance Sanchez indebted to him didn't sound half bad. Keith spoke slowly, sounding out the syllables. Anything at all? That, my friend, is kinky. Pidge swung around on their heels harshly, walking as far away from the table as they possibly could. I'm out of here before Lance is sold into sucking Keith's dick. Pidge waved a hand behind them while racing towards the library stairs. What do you think of that? Was mine better? Yes. I get what it's going for. I can't stress how much better this fic would be. 
like the writing would still be bad but like if i it just took like a blackout marker and like crossed out so many words it would read so much better um especially any scene with dialogue because uh the thing is none of these scenes flow because uh there's never any back and forth that's uninterrupted by, like, uh, paragraphs of <laughs> yeah. description of uh, how the character feels about what was just said or whatever. Which destroys the sense of pacing and, like, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> natural back and forth and uh, the timing of the conversation. You can't get any of that because there's, there's paragraphs in between uh, where the author explains to us what each character was feeling in exact detail when they said that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Even though it's supposed to be third person limited, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but. Maybe. But anyway, uh, the reason uh, Keith gets roped into this uh, is more or less because Pidge uh, volunteers him, uh, points out that he's not doing anything else for Christmas. He was just going to stay on campus uh because he doesn't have a family to go back to. And it's free food. And... It's free food. If if it was, like... In a scene like this, you would get the impression that, no, this is totally not worth it. Keith must have ulterior motives. And the ulterior motives here, of course, would be that he does have a crush on Lance and wants to be his real boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. But here, it's it's just not, like, suggested in, in the way that Keith's character is... I'm reading his character at all right um but also on the flip side uh that's one way to look at it is that uh he will be getting a nice place to stay for the holidays we'll get to be with someone he is uh, some manner of friends with and uh we'll get free food and uh free laundry and all that uh those are exciting perks for college students um, however, on the flip side, he is, uh, being asked to be someone's fake boyfriend in front of their homophobic family, uh, when he himself, as we're about to find out, is, um, is gay. Uh, so he presumably doesn't want to spend his Christmas being on the receiving end of homophobia, uh, when it's totally avoidable <laughs> by simply not agreeing to the stupid plan. So in that sense, it reads like, you must like the guy to go along with this, because this is really dumb. Can we go on to the next scene? Because I really want to talk about the car. Yeah, let's talk about the fucking car. <laughs> so basically nothing um, nothing else happens. Keith agrees. And the next day they're packing up. They shake on it, yep. Um, free laundry was free laundry, right? Keith thinks. <laughs> yeah. So we go to the next day. Uh, they're uh, packing all their stuff into uh i want to read the paragraph car Uh uh-huh go for it the car was small and old as shit a nasty corolla from 1987 lance had defended her proudly calling the car his little lady obviously lance knew nothing about cars the thing was an ugly sight three dents several scratches and an ugly shade of beige keith couldn't believe they'd be driving the thing all the way to arizona oh boy so first of all um (laughs) yeah Toyota Corollas, and I'm not saying this just because I personally own a Toyota Corolla, but Mm -hmm. Corollas are generally uh, seen as, like, small, practical, safe cars with good mileage. I don't Mm -hmm. know why he has such a visceral reaction to seeing a Corolla. Uh, 
Yeah, like, don't think I'm just, like, taking offense at this because I drive an old beater, which, uh, I mean, I do drive an old beater, and I do sort of take offense, but, like... You drive a, a similar uh, more... one to m mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have, a, I have a Honda Civic, but, um, I more just don't buy this. Because yeah. we don't know that Keith is a car guy. But we do know that he's a college kid, and, uh... He's a foster it's kid. It's kind of notable if a, if a college kid has a car at all. Um, a lot of people that age don't. He just sounds really um, ungrateful here. Like, I would buy this right. from, from, like, a rich kid who's like, Ugh, you, you have an old Corolla from 1987? And it's like, well, it's still working, and it's from 1987. That is testament to the reliability of Corollas, at least compared to other cars, um... The the thing is that, like, it's extremely normal yeah. for college kids, if they have cars, to be driving old beaters like this. But it has several like, scratches. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who cares? It has four wheels. Like, I, they're college kids. What more do you need? Keith is also a foster kid who... <laughs> right. He doesn't have a car. What position is he in to be, like, it'd be one thing if he's like, ah, oh, I can't believe we have to take, uh, your shitty car, um, but, uh, father always lets me ride in his Mercedes. <laughs> like, he's not that guy. Yeah, and, and if we got some, maybe we got some background on Keith, like, maybe he could say, like, oh, he was adopted into a rich shirt family. Like, and, you know, I right. could totally, like, insert <laughs> this in here. Keith was adopted into a rich family who just adopted him because it would make them look good, and they pay for his college, but they don't really treat him like family. My god, he was adopted by the squalors because orphans were in. Yeah. <laughs> Follow for, for more series of unfortunate events jokes. Uh-huh. Um, like and subscribe. <laughs> Um, but anyway, but uh, believe me, we are not given any backstory uh, for Keith at all, other than that he, well, actually, I want to talk about this later, because it doesn't make any sense, but yeah. he's a foster kid, and it's not explained where he got the money for college. I, in my head, I assume he got it on scholarship, but I don't know. It yeah, could be a bunch we, of things. we also do learn in the story that he is uh, academically gifted. But, I mean, he um, does so. He does say earlier, like, oh, it would be free food. So he's thinking about, like, he might not have enough money for food otherwise. Well, yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure how his planet uh, living at college uh, over winter break was going to work. Because um, that's something you can arrange to do at most colleges, I think. But, like, uh, campus services are not going to be open over the holidays. So he'd have to, like, go off campus to buy food, presumably. Um, I don't know if he has, like, money. Yeah, but okay, our point is, Keith doesn't have a car. Yeah. So I don't understand why he's being so mean to this poor beater <laughs> from 1987. If, if, okay, if I was, like, when I was in college, uh, you know, I had friends who had cars. Not many of them. Most of us did not. Um... My friends who had cars drove old beaters. Uh, I never once saw someone react to somebody's old beater by being like, Ew, you drive that thing? It has several dents and scratches <laughs> and it's from 1987. It's old as shit. It's an ugly shade of beige. Like, can you imagine hanging out with that guy in college? God, I hate him! <laughs> like, you've described a man who is so insufferable. 
it's like this bizarre character trait that's been given, and I know it's uh, just the author writing from a high schooler's perspective. Like, when I which, get a car, uh, I want a shiny you know. new one without realizing right. that that's not a realistic goal for your first it's car. Someone who doesn't who doesn't drive, uh, doesn't own a car, uh, and values cars based purely on aesthetics mm-hmm. uh, because they don't they don't use them for practical things. They can't drive yet. Yeah, I can't relate uh, because when I was in high school, I wanted a Toyota Corolla. Um, but I can see, yeah, I I see like I, I understand that I am not like mo- I was not like most teenagers. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I think there are def- definitely teenagers who are this person, but I think by the time you get to college, you've kind of accepted the reality that unless your your parents are loaded or or something, you're probably going to be driving a beater if you're lucky. You know, a way this could work was like, Keith is like, huh, that's an ugly car, but at least it has four wheels. Wish I had a car. It would be one thing also if it was a safety concern he had with the car. Yeah, and, and and maybe, like, uh, Keith is like, Lance, why do you love this car so much? It's cool that you have a car, I guess, but it's so ugly. And Lance reveals that his, it has sentimental value to him. And sentimental value is something that Keith, like, doesn't understand or relate to. Because that is the other part of this paragraph that I wanted to talk about. Uh, is that Lance's obvious affection for this car. Uh, Keith doesn't get it because he thinks the car is ugly. And this is part of a broader theme of... Uh, Keith not really getting uh, love, which is a theme in this story. Uh, We know it's explicitly intended as a theme because it pretty explicitly comes up. It's pretty confused in general, but I think it gets especially confused around the car because I don't know why um, he has a purely... like aesthetic-based uh, value system for cars. Because this author that strikes doesn't me drive. as way weirder than someone having affection for their old beater. Yeah, and if if you think that we're harping on this too much, this isn't the only time that it comes up. It keeps coming up, and not it. It doesn't just like keep... it comes up every time the car is mentioned, and it specifically keeps mentioning that it's a Corolla, and that from like... 1987 that comes <laughs> and, up all the time, and it's like. Okay, but it's not the Corolla that he doesn't like, presumably. It's the fact that the car is old and ugly. Like, does this, does Keith just really hate Toyota? Uh, it's it's really like, what is this supposed to tell me about the character? I know it's not intended to actually say anything, but that makes it, like, even even stranger, I think, as a, as a reading experience. Uh, every time this car is mentioned, it's uh, Keith going on and on about how how ugly and old it is, and I, I'd be willing to like accept him complaining about the age of the car if it was like a safety concern. If he's like, "Oh, this thing's a rattle trap. It sounds like it's going to fall apart." Uh, that's that's never his concern. Mm-hmm. Um, the car is apparently completely safe and reliable. There's no issues there. Uh, he just, he just can't fucking stand to look at it or something. (laughs) Um, it it makes him come off as, like, utterly unbearable, and, (laughs) and also, like, again, because we're supposed to be, uh, understanding via these scenes that he doesn't understand other people's, like, uh, sentimental attachments, uh, to things, uh, like their cars, his uh, take on cars is way weirder than Lance's uh, yeah. having sentimental feelings 
about his old beater that he's presumably driven since he was learning to drive. Uh, I know we just read read a paragraph, but I need to read the next one. 19 hours with Lance. 19 terrible, long, ridiculous hours. That was 1,140 minutes of dealing with Lance's obnoxious music taste. That would also include off-key singing, bathroom pit stops every other hour, and the decision to eat at McDonald's for every single meal. Keith was close to death. He could feel it. Okay, first first off... Um, <laughs> yes. Wh- why are they going to the bathroom every other hour? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of listening to this thinking like, oh, Keith is being so melodramatic. He's complaining. It's not that bad. 19 hours, you're going to spend part of that, like, uh, sleeping in shifts, right? Or unless 19 hours is the total road time and they're not they're not factoring in rests. But even even so, uh, probably one will sleep while the other drives for part of that. Yeah, that's how it goes. I think I think that's how it, how it actually goes. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm thinking he's being overly dramatic about how how bad traveling with Lance is. And then we get to the part where they're t- they're doing bathroom stops every two hours. I'm like, hang on. <laughs> yeah. It's also <laughs> that like is excessive. eating at McDonald's for every single meal. I mean, that's pretty... That's, like, three meals. That's pretty excessive, but that's only, like, three to four meals. Um, also, why does Lance like McDonald's so much? (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't know if he does like McDonald's so much. I just assume that it's what they get because it's what's along the highway. They usually have other stuff along the highway than just a McDonald's, though. I don't know. It depends what, uh, what road you're on. I mean, there's a long section of uh, one of the interstates with me with uh, nothing but a Dunkin' Donuts, but... <laughs> Let's talk about the music it's that Lance chooses. So, yes. <laughs> so Lance only listens to Beyonce, Kesha, and Nicki Minaj. That is perfectly in yes. character for him. I totally believe that Lance in Voltron listens to Beyonce, Kesha, and Nicki Minaj. Also, ABBA. Also, from the, the description we're, we're given, uh, it kind of sounds like he's just listening to, like, each of their top hits on repeat. Yeah, which is, like... <laughs> which is pretty funny. I believe that. Um, but... But... Keith... Keith calls Beyonce mom music? Yeah... Um, he says, uh, because, uh, the, the scene is that, uh, Lance falls asleep, uh, while Keith is driving, and Keith takes the opportunity to change the music, uh, to something he likes. Lance proceeds to wake up and call Keith's music taste cringy, to which Keith replies, and your music taste isn't cringy? Keith scoffed, rolling his eyes. You listen to Beyonce. What are you, a mom in her late 30s? <laughs> Which is just, just a bizarre. Yeah, this is a bizarre, a bizarre take. To, take. This is not. To me. This is not an opinion that anyone has. Like even you and I, who are not like avid listeners of Beyonce, um, right? <laughs> like we still un- understand that she is one of the greatest performers of the generation. Even if she, like, we don't like listen to her music regularly. Yeah, like I don't. I don't listen to like a ton of like uh mainstream pop music right but um i think she's like generally acknowledged as being like a respective enough musician that people don't think of her as being like uh middle-aged mom music also i like the like what are you a mom in her late 30s again this author hates uh older (laughs) women um late 30s isn't even that old but 
Yeah, that's well, also um, she's she's not mom music. She's like <laughs> on the top forty, like constantly. Uh, yeah, I. It's just like <laughs> it's not an opinion I would expect someone to voice about Beyonce. I I didn't think that was anyone's impression of Beyonce. Um, I think what I compared it to when we were talking about it before was it's like uh it was like that one Rolling Stone article about uh. Uh, Debbie Harry of Blondie, where where they set up, uh, they described her as like, um, a hot blonde in tight pants, and I'm like that uh, that cannot be your only impression of <laughs> Debbie Harry. <Is> that <laughs> oh she, she was blonde and and wore tight jeans. <laughs> um, in case you're wondering, uh, Keith is listening to Depeche Mode, Pet Shop Boys, and uh, also some MCR and Panic at the Disco. Um, which again, yes. that's actually accurate. I do believe that Keith would listen to those bands um yeah why not but i and this is going to be one of the rare moments where i actually think that the line is funny and characterful uh Mm -hmm. let me just read it uh they came to an agreement after bickering that whoever drove could pick the music and keith had triumphantly played his depeche mode and pet shop boys during his turns he even tossed in a few modern songs mcr and panic at the disco all which lance knew the words to but claimed were were ridiculous <laughs> i think that's really that funny. is a, a rare uh a rare joke that lands yeah. in this story um it also like uh, i think it ages the characters in a nice way yeah uh yeah. because because uh they are the right age as like uh 20 year olds when the story was written to have grown up in the age of mcr is embarrassing and we can't admit that we like it yeah uh-huh uh we get one we, we get our first uh, instance of uh, a hint that maybe Keith has a crush on Lance because he thinks that he's yeah. he's cute while he sleeps. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about <laughs> this bit. Yeah. <laughs> there's an attempt to set up, like, uh, the relationship dynamic between these two that is confused, basically from start to finish through the story, uh, such that you ever you can't ever really get your bearing on uh, what exactly uh, their feelings on each other are even supposed to be. Here, what it's uh, seeming to set up is that uh, Keith is attracted to Lance, but has not really acknowledged that to himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we get this, we get the scene where first of all, uh, he's, he's talking about how he doesn't mind driving with Lance at night. Uh, this begins with him just uh, describing how they don't have to talk. Uh, so no no bickering. He likes night driving. Uh, he likes listening to his music. And then he kind of segues from there t- to describing uh, how Lance is cute when he sleeps. Walks it back a little by saying that when he sleeps, he's not an asshole. And like, at this point, I'm I'm kind of starting to get into it. I'm seeing where this is going. It's like, he wants to say that he's attracted to this guy, but he he hasn't quite figured that out. Uh, so he's he's dancing around it. Uh, he's cute when he sleeps, uh, but that's that's just because he's not talking really. Because he doesn't like he doesn't like Lance. Uh, he doesn't want to hear him talk. I think I get what this is trying to do here, except that uh, the author's never consistent about how she's trying to write the dynamic between um, Keith and Lance. Uh, here it appears to be the case that uh, Keith has some attraction to Lance that he hasn't acknowledged to himself because he gets pretty close to outright saying that he thinks Lance is cute, but 
Uh, but then it ends on saying that uh, he's slobbering in his sleep, uh, which makes him look like a tall, lanky baby. And that's word for word. <laughs> yes. If anything kills the uh, implied attraction vibe here, like uh, describing the love interest character as a tall, lanky baby, well, it's just like, I don't know, that completely uh, shoots that scene in the foot for me. You've gone too far into uh, comical. It's it's too ridiculous. He's no longer no longer boyfriend points, and then and then that just ends that scene, uh, and it continues with them waking up and continuing the drive. Uh, they stop for breakfast, and it's here that uh, Lance broaches the topic of how they're going to act as a couple around his family. Uh, I guess they ha they haven't really discussed what their game plan is for any of this, uh, and Keith also hasn't thought about it, uh, because he's totally taken off guard and almost chokes on his sandwich when uh, Lance brings up what their boundaries should be around kissing. Lance seems to be under the, the assumption that they're going to have to kiss in front of his parents, uh, which I think they could very much get away with not doing yeah. that. Um <laughs> Like, I don't think I don't think his family's going to like accuse them of fake dating unless they see them kiss for real. If but... we don't make out at the dinner table, they'll know we're faking. Which, like, that actually sounds like a very funny scenario where two people who aren't actually dating but are fake dating, whatever, go totally overboard with uh, convince uh, trying to convince other people that they are dating. But the problem with this story is that that's <laughs> the problem. Sorry, I've just I've just had a brain blast. The problem with this story is that it's two stories matched together. It's trying to be fake dating uh, Clance Slowburn, and it's also trying to be the Secret Life of Bees. <laughs> yes! and it just can't be both at once because you can't do like the comedy aspect of the fake dating plot, where the comedy stems from the fact that these two characters obviously want to date, otherwise they wouldn't go along with this ridiculous plot to convince everyone that they're dating mm -hmm. but the comedy of that just does not mesh with the serious character drama that's in something like uh secret life of bees you can't work those seamlessly into the same story at least not at this author's uh, skill level which is not a diss on the author doing so would be very hard if you could do it at all um it's like just two entirely different modes of writing so it never gets to just be comedy Scenes like this can't just be funny. They have to also be implying something about, like, how Keith has never known love, and so he's scared of it, and... Yeah. Uh, Lance's end of it has to be all tied up in this uh, this family backstory and trauma, which we'll get into, and it gets so bogged down in the weeds of this that it, uh, it doesn't focus on the part that I'm realizing that when we talk about it in abstract, the fake dating part sounds sounds like it's pretty funny. Yeah. Because if this was all played for comedy, it would be funny. Their plan is so stupid. They haven't talked about it because they're idiots. They're on the way there and they haven't even discussed if they're going to fake kiss in front of in front of uh, Lance's family. And the fact that they even think that, that they'll have to to sell this is hilarious because it implies that they think they'll be called out on fake dating each other if they don't, like, act couple enough in front of everybody. Which, like, no normal person would suspect this about them. Like, it's 
it implies like a level of conspiracy brain that they're operating on. It's very funny. There are other instances but... <laughs> where this kind of thing happens too with how they are sleeping in the same twin bed as two 20-year-olds. Uh, <laughs> right. Lance, who is described as very tall. Mm-hmm. So he's he's already going to be cramped in there. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they could have set up a sleeping bag or an air mattress for him. Um, but no, they decide the only solution is they have to share this bed. Mm-hmm. And if that was the joke... Which could be very funny. If that was the joke, yeah. that would be funny. Because, I mean... Uh, the part that sells all of that and makes that work is you get that, like, these two guys, the reason why they're going through all this convoluted shit is because at the end of the day, they really just want to date, but neither of them can admit it to themselves or each other. And so they've come up with this whole contrived scenario in order to make them dating possible. It's, it's funny. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a, like, rom-com plot, but, but it also, it tried to do that, and also to be a, the secret life of bees at the same time, which is crazy. And I have I have to imagine this is this is why the fandom thinks it's so great too. It's like oh, it's it's like a fake dating story, but it's deep. This one has a plot and themes. Yeah, the themes are all taken from a secret life of bees. Right, <laughs> they make a, a hell of a lot more sense in that story. <laughs> They're a little bit randomly slapped on here. Ah, uh, fuck. Um, so, uh, the conclusion of this, this scene, um, is that they, uh, they do agree that there will be, um, there will be fake kissing, uh, but then Lance, uh, brings up, uh, his abuela, um, to, to which Keith replies, well, I'll, I'll just read the whole paragraph, um, <laughs> uh, backing up a little. Lance nodded in agreement. Also, there's the issue of my abuela. That, Keith realized, would be a problem. She's homophobic, right? How will she react? He's gotten into the scenario uh, only knowing that he will have to interact with a homophobic relative of the boy he's fake dating and not knowing any details about what sort of abuse he's likely to face from this person. That's crazy. But this is a consequence of the author, like, not thinking about it at all. Anyway, uh, all, all Keith knows going in is that Lance has a, a homophobic grandmother, and it takes until they've almost reached, uh, Lance's family home. Uh, he's already fully committed to this, uh, having no idea what flavor of, uh, homophobia he's going to be subjected to over Christmas. Uh, which is which is just completely insane. Uh, but the author has clearly not given any thought to like uh, what a gay person would do in this situation. Yeah, I I don't want to make any assumptions about like yeah I don't I don't know how the author uh, identifies. I I don't want to assume anything one way or another. But uh, this is not realistic. This is obviously, just not not thinking through uh, what the reaction would be to that kind of situation. Then they end this uh, this conversation with Keith saying that uh, you are transformer is stupid, wrong usage of your. Uh, yeah, another thing that I uh, want to bring up because it's something that uh, happens numerous times in the story is that 
the characters uh, directly say what's supposed to be inferred from their dialogue. Uh-huh. Right before this um, happens, because uh, Keith is changing the subject when he makes the Transformer comment, Lance is, uh, in response to Keith asking him uh, why he is bringing a boyfriend home, um, if he's looking for his grandmother's approval... Uh, actually, there's 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 so much in the scene, but um, uh, he basic he basically asks uh why why is this the plan at all? Why are you bringing home uh, a boy? Like, what's the point you're trying to prove? Uh, to which Lance uh responds by basically saying that his grandmother needs to accept his bisexuality. That's that part's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, in terms of like, uh, he's directly saying uh what should only be inferred. But halfway through him trying to explain his feelings on why he chose this route, we get this, uh, he cuts himself off mid-sentence, and then it says, Lance swore loudly, swerving on the road. Why the hell am I telling you this? It's angsty and emotional and super fucking weird. I'm uncomfortable. Let's change the subject. Uh, Like, (laughs) he just directly says, why am I telling you this? You know, this is... This is an an act of of selfishness that I don't think the author really realizes. Um, And it's that Uh Lance is bringing his friend into a dangerous situation. Right, for the sake of proving a point about his own sexuality. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about with the whole, like, uh, roping Keith into the situation thing. Because there's, there's, like, multiple layers to this. Mm -hmm. And it's really not like a good time to really pick that all apart now because there's like uh, there's more to it but i mean what's happening in this scene is at first he's he's kind of like uh, he's spilling he's he's trying to justify himself and he's speaking more openly uh with keith than we get the sense that he's uh, spoken to him before in the past uh and then he cuts himself off midway and directly questions why he is saying these things it's like he 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 pauses. He's like, "Why is the story making me do this?" Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like stop. You can't you can't like uh stop making you your can't have have <laughs> you can't have the puppet like point up at the the puppeteer and be like, "Who's that guy?" Like, <laughs> I mean, you can, but that that's that's a comedy sketch. All of a sudden, it's like yeah, that's a sort of meta narrative. We're not that this right. We're not breaking the fourth wall here. But this this sort of thing keeps happening. Anyway. All right. I really want to get to the next uh, part because it's okay. long, but it's the last part we're going to read. Um, okay. Okay. Here we go. Let me, let me just read this, okay? Go for it. You live on a farm? Lance laughed like Keith was stupid. Have you seen me try to dig with a shovel? Fuck no. <laughs> you can always identify... Uh, people who grew up on farms at college because they're always carrying around these damn shovels <laughs> and digging with them. It, it, what he should have, you know... <laughs> Telltale okay. giveaway every time. Editor's fix here. Lance laughed like Keith was stupid. Are you kidding me? Could you imagine me doing hard labor? Fuck no. Or something like that. Look, yeah. Or like, look at these hands. Don't you see how delicate they are? Because that is what it is getting yeah. at. Uh, he's... He's uh, mocking the idea of himself doing manual labor on a farm. Yeah. Um, and then the next paragraph is, you've 
really live in the middle of nowhere, Keith countered, observing the yellow fields that rolled past their windows. They were driving on a farm road, an actual farm road, lined with weeds, blackberry bushes, and the occasional rusty sign. Keith didn't even think these things existed. Keith is n- new to the concept of signs rusting. <laughs> first of all, um. first of all, what the hell do you mean by yellow fields? It's Arizona. There's going to be uh, yeah. maybe some, some desert. Yellow fields, do you mean sand? <laughs> There's going to be, it's, it's true that all, like, Arizona's the desert. It's not going to be all sand, but there's going to be, like, desert plant life, like cacti and ferns and stuff like that. Um, but it becomes very clear uh, soon, uh, and it, it it's, it's clear because the author directly references it, just like they do with The Secret Life of Bees, is that uh, mm-hmm. this is not uh, an Arizona house. This is the house from Anne of Green Gables. Um, which yes. is takes place in Canada, which has a house that is built for Canada weather and not an Arizona mm-hmm. house that is most likely one story and built to release heat instead of keeping it inside. Instead of keeping it in, yeah. yes. Otherwise, you would fucking die in Arizona because it's hot. Even in the winter, it does get cold sometimes at night. But the primary goal with building houses in Arizona is to release the heat. Yes, uh, architectural styles do tend to vary depending on the environment that they're in. <laughs> like the, the author clearly had a vision. It's the house from Anne mm-hmm. of Green Gables. Um, yes. If the author wanted to do that, fine. Why did you set it in Arizona? And the answer is because the author thinks that all Latino people live in the American Southwest. Yeah, uh, it's there's there's no reason this couldn't have taken place in Ohio. Half the time, it sounds like it does from the description. Yeah, not mer- many um, farms in the Arizona desert. I don't I don't think there are a lot of farmlands there now. Keep in mind, I've only been once, but uh, I I didn't see many uh, rolling yellow fields. Uh, I I guess I would be surprised if I saw that in uh, Arizona. But the way it reads is that uh, Keith has uh, didn't think weeds were real before he went on this trip. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he didn't think that blackberry bushes were re- <laughs> or signs were real and you know yeah. okay this this would make sense if we had the context that like maybe keith has lived in the city for his entire life he has been uh transferred between homes but it's always been in a city and he's never really seen a rural environment um but we're not actually given this context so i have no idea what the hell he's talking about when he says that he doesn't know that these things existed i mean kind of what i did infer from that is that he's probably a, a city kid and yeah. he's um we can infer he's it. unused to to a rural environment like this uh but i get that from the comment like about you live on a farm and lance laughing at that and keith countering with you live in the middle of nowhere it's like middle of nowhere, automatically a farm. That's like a, yeah. you know, that's a city kid assumption to make. Uh, I don't need that to be sold with um, a statement that Keith didn't think signs were real. But then Lance says most of my neighbors are farmers. So it is farmland. I don't know. Again, I don't know how they're farming in the Arizona desert. Um, right. Certainly but that means are... it's no longer a stupid assumption that Keith made. If they're driving through farmland and he asks, do you live on a farm? Yeah. That seems kind of normal. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes, there are some plants that can flourish in the desert, but you can't like have a full on farm. And it's also not the place where you would have livestock um, like cattle because they need grass uh, to feast on. And uh, there's not enough grass in the desert to sustain livestock. 
So keep, yeah, keep that I think in mind. I think for apparent reasons, this is this is not really what's happening in in Arizona uh, for the most part. Uh, we should also be clear. Uh, Mesa del Caballo is a is a real town. Yeah. Uh, you can you can look it up on Google Maps. Yeah, you can literally uh, look it up, and it doesn't look like farmland. Uh, yeah. This is this is a real place. Uh, this the setting could have been researched. Yeah, it has a lot of one story uh, houses. It simply wasn't. Yeah, the name was just taken for the story. Essentially, the author didn't really do any actual research. They just wanted to pick a. Uh, it's a small town with a Spanish name, uh, which is the only part that matters to the story. Uh, uh, as for the rest of it, it may as well be in Ohio. Anyway, okay, l- let me read this. Actually, we yes. were talking about the house, so... Mm-hmm. Finally, the house came into view. It was fairly large, obviously older than Keith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you see what we mean. No, I'm talking... We well, skipped several obviously's along the way, but yes, there's another one for you. Uh, uh, Keith is 20 years old. <laughs> yeah. I think many houses are older than him, in fact. <laughs> yeah. I think it's more notable if a house is younger than he is. Yeah, the house I am in right now is younger than I am, which is, uh, because this is a fairly new neighborhood, um, mm. and that's notable. Uh, but if I look at a house, <laughs> like most other houses, uh, I, I would not <laughs> look at it and think, wow, this house is obviously older than me. It's not really all that impressive <laughs> for a house to be older than me is the thing. And reminded him of the house from Anne of Green Gables, like directly stated. Mm-hmm. So it's that house. So, okay, no, it didn't. <laughs> It did not remind you of the house from Anne of Green Gables. And uh, we get some uh, context later on that this house has a basement and an attic. Neither of those things are going to be, like, yeah, commonplace in Arizona. I don't think that's that's really a done thing Yeah, and, uh, so much. An attic is way too hot. Most houses are going to be one story because, you know, heat rises and upstairs is going to be very hot and hard to... Uh, keep, um, keep yeah. cool. Uh, if if they do have two stories, uh, then it's going to be a very small story, uh, likely with an advanced uh, cooling system. Which I don't think this. I don't know if they have air conditioning in this house. It seems like an old house. That's the impression I get. There's no thought given to like uh, how and why this house came to be in Arizona. Yeah. Um. um the basement doesn't really make sense either. Like, houses in my area, like, they have basements because they they need that stability of the foundation. The ground is right to build basements. You need a basement to put your heating system in. Uh, that's not, not the case in Arizona. Yeah, it's, uh, it's sand in Arizona is yeah. the thing. Like, you can have a basement made, but it's it's a lot of work and it costs a lot of money. And they're not really seen as necessary because you don't have that same heating system that's needed. People build houses in different styles depending on the weather conditions they live in. Yeah, Yeah, we can keep on going about the house forever, but you get the point. The house is just plopped into the story directly from Anne of Green Gables because it fits the vibe that the author was going Mm -hmm. for. uh, And not because it's actually um, something that meshes with the rest of the story at all. Uh, it makes everything feel very strange. Uh, 
things feel like they're they're just cut and pasted from other sources uh-huh. directly into the story, which uh, is in fact exactly what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Even if they took the house from Secret Life of Bees, that would fit better. That would fit better. That's what South Carolina. I think so. He was already cringing, the chipped yellow paint and white trim, almost already screaming of domesticity. Oh, your your house is paint is chipping? That's so cringe. Cringe! <laughs> um, Keith is just a normal college boy, you know? Uh, he, he hates it when his friends drive ugly beater cars <laughs> from 1987, and he cringes when he sees chipped paint on houses. Um... <laughs> you know, average average college boy things. The next line gives some context to what it might mean by cringing. It's not the right word, but it, it says, uh, Keith was used to apartments and ha- townhouses that belonged to the foster families he lived with, not family homes with soccer balls lying in the lawn, and there's no lawn, it's Arizona, and bikes mm-hmm. thrown across <laughs> gravel. Um, yeah, the emotion I think that's evoking is not cringe. Yeah, he he doesn't feel welcome. But that's not cringe. He he feels like this is the sort of place he doesn't belong. It's also possibly like, you know, he's, he thinks this is kind of cutesy and he feels, he feels out of place. And the only way he knows how to express that as an edgy teenager is to be like, ugh, cringe. But that's not, you could make that work, but this isn't selling it. He doesn't have enough of a character for that to come across clearly. Yeah. Um, here, I found another paragraph that I like. So they go, they go down the driveway and two kids and a boxer come pounding out. And uh, this paragraph says, Lance was beaming like it was already Christmas, barely able to unhook his seatbelt with his shaking hands. He didn't even respond to Keith's question, instead wrenching the door open and practically tripping from the front seat. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. He's so excited to see his family that he, he tunes out Keith and he's you know trembling with excitement um he's he's acting like a puppy he's he's just all all wound up with excitement to see his family that's cute okay okay uh we we've on our own when we've been going over this uh in preparation for Mm -hmm. the podcast we have uh come up with a little um headcanon of our own for keith and that it's he's an ace detective uh and this is our first (laughs) First, uh, yes. first instance of this. Lance! The nine-year-old cried out gleefully. Her stringy brown hair and tan skin color were the same as Lance's, and Keith immediately put two and two together. She was Lance's <laughs> younger sister, Josephine! Break! Oh my god, the girl who looks like Lance, who's the same age as the, uh, as the sister that Lance described and looks like the sister, <laughs> is, is her... <laughs> He's a he's the greatest detective in any work of fiction. Don't worry, there's more of Ace Detective Keith coming up. Yeah, uh Keith is is constantly uh putting these things together like they're they're clues to some some mystery that he's attempting to solve except they're just all very obvious deductions. Which is like um he's making that didn't really need to be spelled out. Isn't this something that happened in The Secret Life of Bees when Lily is kind of trying to solve the mystery of like what happened to her mother and uh, the the secret of uh, her mother's like connection with the uh, the calendar sisters and she's kind of doing this uh, on her own. But um, Keith was yes, literally but... told that, and Lily is a fourteen year old who <laughs> doesn't really have much to go on. She's a fourteen year old uh, trying to figure out anything at all that she can about her dead mother. 
she has incentive to feel like she is the protagonist of a mystery story, mm-hmm. even though it's not really a mystery. Yeah, and uh, I uh, mean, uh, the, the, point, uh, <laughs> the point of that is pretty much that Lily could have at any point just asked and everything would have been yes. explained to her. But she has her own journey right. to go through. Yes, that is the point there. Uh, here, it's just kind of... Um, I, I mean, I know what this this is in the story. It's because the author can't let us just figure anything out for ourselves. Yeah. We have to be explicitly told everything. And so things that are pretty obvious from context, but that perhaps there's room to misinterpret. You know, perhaps some particularly uh, dim-witted readers might read this and think, oh, maybe, maybe this kid uh, who lives at Lance's parents' house and looks like Lance is in fact a family friend. Uh, but don't worry, Detective Keith is here to assure you that, um, based on his deductions, that's most likely Lance's sister. Um, so he's he's really here performing a public service for all of us uh, to make sure that we understand the story. Aren't you thankful? Are you thankful I'm for him? I'm so thankful. Um, I th- I think I think also we we get a bit of this impression of uh, him being an ace detective because. Uh, the way uh, each section of the story opens with day one, uh, Friday, December 16th, 10.07 a.m. Yeah, I'm just expecting it, it, the it, district court defendant lobby number two every time. It's very melodramatic because it seems <laughs> like it's counting down to something. Um, but right. it, what it seems to be counting down to is Christmas. But we aren't given any reason to believe that Christmas is like significant to any of the characters. Like I could understand if it was counting down to the time when Keith has to leave the Sanchez family or when Abuela arrives. That's actually what I initially assumed was that it was a countdown until um, the break ends. No. And they go back to college. No, it's just a countdown to Christmas. And like something does happen around that time. Okay. Like the climax of the story. But we aren't really given any reason to think that it's actually significant. Like we, we know that this family is culturally Christian, but we don't know if that actually means anything to Keith and Lance specifically. And right, like this, this isn't really a a Christian story, right? This is not a Christmas narrative, yeah. exactly. Uh, Christmas is the backdrop for the story, yeah. but it's not. Josie is compared to a small monkey uh, when she wraps mm, yeah. her arms around his neck and squeezed. Uh, that's not appropriate. Uh, yeah, just don't do that. Do not at any point uh, make those comparisons with people of color. Um, just yeah, just don't go there. Did you get the impression from watching Voltron season one that Keith doesn't like dogs and doesn't like to get dirty and doesn't like to get his skinny jeans ripped? Because that's how he acts in this story. I have no impression whatsoever on his thoughts on dogs uh, or getting his skinny jeans ripped because these are things (laughs) that are not touched on in Voltron whatsoever. Well, that's how he acts here. He doesn't like the dog. It's slobbery. Well, he kind of acts like he's he doesn't know what a dog is. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. There's kind of a general impression in uh, this scene and in uh, several other scenes in the story that, like, this is Keith's first day on Earth. He has never seen uh, blackberry bushes or weeds before. He didn't know those things existed in real life. Uh, he also doesn't seem terribly familiar with what dogs are or what children are. Uh, despite this, the way he's written with kids is... Uh, strange, and we'll probably talk about it more later, but in these initial interactions with the children, he acts uh, very uncomfortable and uh, put off, but later is proven to be something of a natural with the children. 
there's a way that this could work. Absolutely. It doesn't... Yeah. I want to take a look at this line. Uh, the Sanchez family was huge. Keith had never lived with more than two people at a time. Yeah. Huh. That's weird, isn't it? What? Did he live with his new foster parents, Dave and Marie? <laughs> he, he did. Uh, they're, they're very nice and wholesome, <laughs> sweet people, but this is not like having a real family. Um, it... If he grew up in, like, one or two houses that just happened to take in one foster kid, I could believe it, but he did describe himself as living with foster families and going from home to home. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't buy that he was the only kid there every single time. That doesn't make yeah, any sense. Yeah, there's a lot of things related to uh, Keith's, like, foster kid narrative that don't make sense. Um, I mean, we'll get into it more, but we do learn that he was born in Korea. Uh, it is never made clear why he ended up in the American foster care system. I'm sure there are scenarios under which this is possible, but it's an unusual circumstance that's never clarified to us. And then he apparently just, like, uh, bounces from foster home to foster home all his life. We don't know why uh, he never finds a more permanent placement, um, and why he's moved around so much, and why he's also, uh, in all of these placements, uh, specifically the only child in the home. Uh, also, the way all these foster families are talked about is they're all kind of painted with the same brush as, like, uh, hands-off adult figures who uh, gave him food and shelter and sent him to school and who were otherwise, like, not involved in his life at all. Uh, none of them are named characters in this story. They're never mentioned by name. There's no anecdotes that we hear about this. It's just, it's one step removed from being a blank state backstory except that the little bit that we do get makes everything else more confusing like uh, the amount of his backstory that we're given just raises more questions to me it's almost easier just to ac accept him as a guy with a mysterious past what do you think of this line it was december in arizona so it was almost 70 degrees out keith was already preparing for tasteless desert tap water and dried lips um i don't think that water usually uh... has you know in the in the desert um i would presume that maybe maybe they're getting their water from a well in which case it would be hard water and it would have a taste yeah um i don't know why he assumes that desert water specifically is going to be tasteless yeah typically soft water is tasteless and that's the kind of water that you find uh also i i think that generally uh people don't like their water to have a taste that isn't water yeah um so um he's describing his water as tasteless i'm kind of like what's the complaint also it makes it sound like 70 degrees is hot um for december yes for arizona no so i don't really know what angle we're taking on the temperature there 70 degrees is not going to dry your lips out yeah, I would think that's more from the desert being, you know, arid because it's a desert. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's it's the cold weather that usually dries your lips out, honestly, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, the dry air in the desert can do that too, mm -hmm. but it's just kind of stated like it relates to the temperature somehow. Yeah. When, uh, there's no correlation between your lips being dry and it being 70 degrees. That's a pretty com comfortable temperature as far as your skin is concerned. Uh, Mateo starts talking about falling off his scooter and hitting his head which makes me wonder why wasn't he wearing a helmet that's very concerning anyway <laughs> yeah i mean 
I, I think it could just be an instance of a uh, kid playing around on super unsupervised on something he maybe wasn't supposed to be playing on. Maybe. Uh, whatever. I'll, I'll let that one slide. But then the next thing that happens uh, with Mateo is that uh, after Lance introduces Keith as his boyfriend, Mateo has questions about this uh, that come across pretty forced, like not... Oh, the, not how I'd expect a five-year-old to react. The, the children in this, this fic do not act like children. This fic has severe only child energy. Uh, yeah, like uh, this scene is just very confused because, for starters, um, Mateo is shocked when he hears that Keith and Lance are boyfriends. Uh, he he says boys can like boys. Uh, to which... That is uh, not how a child has ever reacted to discovering that gay relationships exist. Uh, yeah, um, kids are just, I can... Kids, kids just accept everything is new to them. Everything is new to kids. Right. I can get him maybe asking a follow-up question. Uh, I don't get him being shocked because, uh, he's five. He's very used to, um, learning new things for the first time. That's like all five-year-olds do. They don't know anything yet. They're babies. But he he reacts in great shock. Josie uh, then um, then says that uh, you can like anyone you want. Uh, that's what Rosa told her. And Mateo's response is to say, "I want a boyfriend." And to be clear, this isn't. Um, I don't think what this is trying to set up is any sort of uh, realization on Mateo's part that he might like boys too. Instead, it's just like he's learned about boyfriends as a thing that you can have that his uncle has that he doesn't, that he now also wants. That's kind of the joke here. But then they, like, take it seriously, which makes the whole interaction disturbing. It makes the whole thing go go very strangely because just, like, no one interacts uh, with Mateo in the way that, like, adults would in this scenario. In real life, he'd be like, can I have your boyfriend? And Lance would just be like, ha ha, no, get your own. Right. Or or if he persists, be like, oh, well, that's not how that works. We don't share boyfriends. If you want a boyfriend, uh, you can find a boy your own age yeah. to be your boyfriend. Like, something, a very quick conversation could have could have headed off. But instead, he clings, he clings on to this idea to the extent that he then goes on to introduce... Uh, Keith as his boyfriend to his own father, which puts Keith in this, like, massively awkward position. And I know it's supposed to be a comedy setup, but when the joke is, like, my five-year-old son is claiming to be dating a 20-year-old man, it's like... It's not funny. I, I don't know, that's not really haha funny. Um, like, this, like, it wasn't awkward until, like, you made it awkward. Like, kids say weird things. One right. time when I was volunteering at... An elementary school one of the kids saw my pokemon shirt and asked me if i wanted to go over his house and watch pokemon with him and i just kind of laughed and said oh maybe you can get uh one of these cool friends here to watch pokemon with you i didn't say oh that's so inappropriate i'm not your age what would your mother think if i went over to your house and started <laughs> watching pokemon with you it's like why are you right making which it to be clear that is how the characters react here uh lance says you're so silly, Mateo. I'm not sure what your dad would think if you had a 20-year-old boyfriend. Yeah. They make it weird. Yeah, they make it weird. Mateo, clearly from what he says, just just sees a boyfriend as like a possession that you can have. Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe doesn't understand it beyond a friend who is a boy. 
However, that's kind of directly contradicted by his initial reaction to this revelation, uh, the boys can like boys comment. Yeah. If he's understood this as on par with romantic relationships, uh, they should be able to explain to him why this is inappropriate. Yeah. But instead it's like they can't even have that conversation because they know he doesn't see it that way. Mm-hmm. Except that he's just indicated that he does get it. Yeah, this whole, <laughs> like, it's very muddled. This whole interaction is very confusing and I don't like it at all. Yeah, there's also just a, a weird bit in here uh, with um, both Mateo and Josie obsessing over Keith's hair. Um, first, uh, Mateo saying, um, because uh, Keith at the time has his hair, uh, I guess, tied back because he was driving. Uh, so it's back in a ponytail. Mateo uh, describes him as looking like a samurai. Uh <laughs> A, a little weird. Uh, I mean, he's five, but just, like, I know that's a comparison the author would make, yeah. which is mm. what makes it strange. Keith responds to this comment by letting his hair out of its ponytail, um, to which uh, Mateo replies, uh, oh, now you just look like a girl. And then Josie starts uh, squealing about how Lance looks like a Disney prince. Kids don't talk uh, like that. Sorry, about how Keith... Keith looks like a Disney prince, which, uh, yeah. She says, you're a Disney prince. You look like a Disney prince with your hair down. Kids don't talk like that. Oh, you look like my favorite Disney prince. One of the princes right, and written again, by the Disney property. Like, no, she would say like, oh, you look like Prince Eric from my favorite movie, The Little Mermaid. Kids don't really, t- kids don't talk like that. I know exactly why this is in here, too. Like, it's very transparent. The author thinks that uh, Keith is cute the way he's drawn in Voltron with his hair long (laughs) um, and would make this comparison uh, themselves. But because there's no uh, appropriate character to give this line to, they just have the nine-year-old say it, which comes across like she has a crush on her, uh, like, older brother's boyfriend that she just met. But it's just, like, it's just a strange reaction for her to have. Like, I have not known, like, nine-year-old girls to, uh, fangirl, uh, to, like, an older sibling's partner in that way. Like... (laughs) I mean, she could so easily just say, like, you have hair just like Aladdin. Yeah. Instead, she just says a Disney prince. Yeah. Not naming a specific (laughs) character. Generic Disney prince. He looks like a generic Disney prince. Yeah, that's that's like a weird way for a kid to say it. It's bizarre. She's just being given this line uh, so that uh, the author can remind us that, um, like, oh, isn't Keith so cute in Voltron? Um, the next line is uh states that Keith yes. had never had any siblings. I'm assuming that means foster siblings too. I mean, I guess we got the confirmation yeah. that he had never lived in a house with more than two people. Dave and Marie, his new foster parents. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that was that was uh, not at the same time that they were fostering Tia. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think he could have used her as a sibling. She would have rounded him out. <laughs> uh, she could have fixed him. She would have yelled at him, which he deserves. <laughs> I like this next part where um, uh, when when Keith goes inside the garage, <laughs> we get the line: "The garage was exactly like Keith Im- had imagined." I, wait, you? So uh, he just said that he couldn't like imagine. <laughs> a place like this he didn't have any like reference for it all this right so we already know he has no reference point for the stuff but (laughs) the garage is exactly like he imagined it and he goes on to 
we go on to get a description of the garage, um, and I'm, I'm just impressed that he imagined all those exactly. Um, <laughs> there were bikes everywhere, and shelves lined with canned food, a kayak hung from the back wall, <laughs> random buckets of paint littered the floor, and an old tarp was flung in the corner. It was, to say the least, exactly what a garage for a family of eight looked like. Exact, except with a lot more stains, muddy shoes, and large bags of dog food. You know, I would assume that... I would have assumed the stains and muddy shoes part, and I would have assumed the large bags of dog food if they have a large dog. Uh, but the rest of it is like, that's a, that's a very specific thing to be imagining. Also, it's like, the first thing I want to yes, point yes. out, what the fuck are they doing with a kayak <laughs> in the middle of the Arizona desert? Well, there's that, there's that, uh, <laughs> there's no, that lake. No, we can't talk about that yet. Okay. <laughs> um, there's a there's a potential reason they have a kayak. We'll get to it later. Um, the rest of this, like, I don't know why this was exactly his picture of their garage. Um, I don't think that's what the author meant to write. Either that or he's psychic. <laughs> um, they then proceed into the kitchen. This is where we meet um, Mateo's dad, who who is described as hot in a dad sort of way. Verbatim. Right. Uh, this is this is uh, Lance's older brother, uh, Danny, who I don't think we get an exact age for him, but I'm kind of assuming like late twenties, maybe uh-huh. uh, early thirties. And uh, the other person who first appears in this uh, scene is we have uh, Cleo, who uh, we'll get back to Cleo later. I think we're gonna have a lot of thoughts on Cleo, but she's not really much in this uh, early part of the story. I mean, I mentioned before she's the author insert. She is the author insert. Um, um, so when Mateo comes in, he shouts that he has a boyfriend. And uh, it yes. says, Danny was obviously concerned. Though in a way that <laughs> Keith couldn't identify as disgust. What does that mean? First of all, again, I don't like this <laughs> joke dragging on for this long. Um, again, with the word obviously, and... It kind of gets more and more uncomfortable the longer it goes on, this joke. Yeah, kids say weird things. Um, if... if We don't need to make it a whole thing. I also kind of feel like if, you're, if your five-year-old says this, you'd be more likely to assume imaginary friend or something, yeah. but... Whatever. Um, so the, the joke keeps dragging on. Um, Keith, uh, for some reason, I guess despite his concern that uh, Danny might be uh, disgusted um, at hearing that he's uh, dating his five-year-old son, uh, does not step in to clarify the situation yeah. and be like, uh, hey, uh, sorry, I'm um, I'm actually Lance's uh, boyfriend. Um, Mateo has just found out about the concept of boyfriends and he's excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's there's no attempt at uh, clarification for him in front, of, in front of this dad who's just been told something very concerning yeah. by his five-year-old. Yeah. Um, so... When uh, Cleo, so that's weird. When Cleo's described, uh, she is described as a teenage girl of about fourteen. She's not about fourteen. She is exactly fourteen. So y- you can just uh, that's done consistently yeah. with the character introductions. They're all described as looking about their exact age. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're never even given a range or like an a- approximation based on what grade they look like they're in in school. It's just like um, Mateo looks about five, and. Uh, just just then, as they're all kind of uh, catching up with each other in the kitchen, and before Keith says anything whatsoever to explain about the, the boyfriend thing, um, a teenage boy comes down the stairs, and this is uh, Benji, Lance's 16-year-old brother. 
Benji is... I guess he has just gotten out of the shower because he heard the commotion downstairs. Uh, and so he is not dressed. He's just got a bath towel wrapped around his waist. There's no possible way we can forget this fact because it's brought up many, <laughs> many times in the scene that follows. Uh, with constant mention of the bath towel uh, starting to slip. And it's just like, right after we've had this uncomfortable joke about uh, Keith being Mateo's boyfriend, we go into, like, all these uncomfortable comments about, like, a 16-year-old boy being naked. Yeah. And again, like, I know the author was, like, 17 when uh, they wrote this, and I don't I don't think it's weird for them, given the age that they were, to, to write about a 16-year-old from uh, that perspective, but it just... It just comes across very strangely in the story because we're meant to be broadly from Keith's perspective and he's 20 and this is his not boyfriend's uh, 16-year-old little brother. It shouldn't read like he's just staring at this guy's almost naked body this whole scene. But it's just mentioned so often that, uh it's gross. Keith thanked the heavens there was a towel. Uh, yeah. When Benji comes down the stairs, uh, Lance is very excited to see him, and they start play wrestling, um, even though Benji only has a towel, and it almost falls during the scene, which prompts more towel comments, uh, but yeah, his uh, towel, brushing past that. Yeah, his towel, which slips from his lack of hips. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't really want to dwell on it, but you, you get the vibe. It's, it's discussed to a point where it starts to become a little weird. Uh, it's also not the only time this happens with Benji. Uh, he always seems to be taking a shower when he appears in this story. Yeah, you, you mentioned before it's very Walt Jr. only eats breakfast energy, but it's, like, not... Right, but it's Benji only takes showers. In 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 Breaking Bad, I always felt like it was something that they accidentally kept writing, and so they kept doing it as a joke. But here, it's not really... Well, it's also just, like, the reason why we only see Walt Jr. at breakfast most of the time is because those are the scenes we get of the whole family together. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the point there. Yeah. That's... It's not saying anything here about the family dynamic that uh, Benji is always just stepping out of the shower. <laughs> I don't know what that's meant to be telling us. But anyway, so they, they play wrestle. Yeah, they play wrestle, and, uh, I mean, what happens here... And we can tell from, uh, well... Having eyes and being able to read. You know, it's treated like it's some sort of mystery, but... <laughs> <laughs> Again, Keith, master detective. He doesn't realize that Lance lets Benji win because Benji is much scrawnier than him. And that's something you do with little siblings is sometimes you let them win. Um, yeah, he somehow, uh, like... He completely misses the context that, like, uh, Lance is play wrestling with his little brother, so he lets him win because that's what older siblings uh, often do for younger siblings. But, um... And it's like, yes, I understand that he's never had this experience in real life, but he certainly must have heard of it from cultural osmosis. He's probably engaged with media yeah. in which this happens. But the thing is, I mean, the reason why this is even um, framed as being any sort of mystery here is because the real thing this is foreshadowing is the reveal that uh, Benji used to have cancer, that he's recovering from cancer, and uh, that's why he looks so scrawny, and why uh, Lance in particular uh, 
lets him win during these play fights. Uh, that's not something you can just infer from the scene because that's also just like a normal sibling dynamic mm -hmm. thing uh, that an older sibling might let a younger one win. But that does become pretty obvious uh, when it comes up again. Uh, and yet, uh, Keith does not put it together until it is explicitly stated to him, but we'll get to that. So Benji makes a joke about, uh, Lance being awful in bed, and instead of, uh, just being like, Benji, <laughs> that's inappropriate, you're 16, uh, don't mm -hmm. talk about that, um, we get them laughing, Benji's triumphant smile, the visible, visible shock on Lance's face, Lance arguing, I'm great in bed. This joke goes on for a few paragraphs, and then Danny interjects going, I really don't want to know, and my son is present, which he should have done outright, honestly. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can get how, uh, maybe, uh, maybe Lance is, uh, not immediately going to call out this comment, uh, because I don't know what their normal, like, sibling banter dynamic is like, uh, but it seems like the sort of thing an, uh, an adult, like an actual adult, not a college kid in this situation, would would maybe comment on <laughs> as just a wild fucking thing to say to your guests. I just want to point out, Cleo is uh, washing dishes in this scene. Uh, she does this a lot. <laughs> it's another thing yes. about, like... It's another, like, uh, Benji always takes showers, uh, Walt Jr. Only, Cleo's always only washing dishes. Breakfast. Yeah. That's, that's her idle animation when you're not talking to her. Uh -huh. Uh, when she isn't being engaged in dialogue, she just goes back to washing dishes. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, so after this whole, like, uh, uncomfortable and, like, fairly contrived, uh, joke about, um, how, uh, bad or not Lance is in bed... Rosa enters the room, and the first thing she does is she begins, uh, telling Benji off, uh, for, I guess, coming downstairs in only a towel, but she's speaking in what's pretty obviously Google Translate Spanish, uh, while whacking him with, uh, a towel from, I guess, the basket of laundry that she's just been doing. Uh, so this is a, this is a, a choice for your character introduction. I'll say. It's it's all Google Translate Spanish. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to attempt to try and read this or, or translate it. I, I only know, like, maybe five words of Spanish, right? But um, it very obviously looks like this was uh, Google Translated and just uh, pasted into the story to try and give it some sort of uh, authenticity. <laughs> Um, it, it ends with, uh, Keith peered at Lance for any explanation, but none ever came. What, are you expecting, like, him to be your personal translator? I, I think, <laughs> I think yeah. it's pretty obvious what she was saying. Uh, yeah, um, the context is, while she's saying this, uh, she's whacking him with a, a towel, and it's, I mean, even just looking at what she says, uh, she's pretty obviously commenting on the fact that he came downstairs not dressed. Uh-huh. There I go with the obvious, but I get to say it because I'm not writing a fanfic. Anyway, uh, after telling off Benji, uh, who retreats up the stairs, um, Rosa pulls Lance into a hug, um, and, uh, gives, gives him a kiss and is, is very welcoming. So we get... Uh, the initial character set up for her, and, uh, I think already you can probably see why we compared her to Molly Weasley, because this is, uh, the same as Molly Weasley's introductory scene, 
um, except without any actual, like, uh, narrative punch behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the... <sighs> Sorry to talk about Harry Potter and this the year of our Lord, uh, 2022. No, we Because uh, I was thinking... But... We literally said it at the same time, because we were thinking the same thing. This is supposed right. to be Right, I mean, I, th- I think we kind of have to, have to discuss that this is obviously, um... A big chunk of the inspiration for the character. Uh, Motley Weasley's introductory scene in the Harry Potter books, it's in the second book when Fred and George uh, have broken Harry out of the Dursleys um, by picking him up in the flying car and they take him back to the burrow. Uh, And so when they arrive, uh, Mrs. Weasley's initial reaction is, of course, to go off on her uh, teenagers who have just done something like very illegal and stupid and dangerous and risky. And so she's yelling at them, chewing them out, and at the same time, uh, trying to do her best to be a welcoming and kind host to Harry. So we're introduced to both sides of this character at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, she is someone who can be very bossy and yell at her children, uh, if the circumstance calls for it. Uh, she can go a little too far sometimes and say things that are overly harsh, uh, however, she's doing it all coming from a place of loving and caring, caring and uh, worrying about her children. This does not uh, convey that anywhere near as clearly because there are no stakes. Uh, Benji has simply come downstairs wearing only a towel. So the, uh, to have it follow the same beats where she goes off on Benji and then turns to Lance and is very sweet and welcoming it's like it it just doesn't tell us as much about the character because this is not an impactful scene yeah um uh she pulls lance into a big squishy hug yes i mean and then with the in the line after the next one we get the information that she's round and has plump cheeks so from that we can understand what it means by squishy hug but um we didn't get that information uh, before the word squishy was dropped, so that's a bit strange. <laughs> yeah, the only description we get of her prior to that is that she's an older woman. Yeah. Uh, we learn in the course of the scene that, you know, she's, uh, she's kind of short and round. She has, she has to get up on her tiptoes, uh, to kiss Lance on his forehead, and... Okay, okay, wait. Um, so the next thing... Yes. Let me, let me read the next thing, um... Welcome home, mijo. Mrs. Sanchez reached up on her tiptoes to place a kiss at Lance's forehead. Keith ached, physically felt his stomach lurch and twist inside his skin. Keith looked away, attention back at the photograph wall. Just kidding. That's not what it says. Welcome home, mijo. Mrs. Sanchez reached up on her tiptoes to place a kiss at Lance's forehead. Keith ached, physically felt his stomach lurch and twist inside his skin. It was the same feeling from before. A sense of displacement. He wasn't meant to be here. Meant to watch such loving affairs happen between family members. This was someone else's family. Someone else's intimate relation. Yeah. Uh, and And then it goes to him looking back at the photograph wall, and this is where we get some actual description of the photographs that are on the wall. Yeah. Which is fine. You don't- That tells us something. You don't have to describe it. Uh, we don't need to be told exactly how Keith is feeling, because that can be inferred from the next action he takes, looking at the photographs. He's thinking about family. He's thinking about the concept of having a family. Something he is lacking. Uh-huh. Uh, I can solve this, and I'm not even an ace detective like he is. <laughs> anyway, uh... uh, uh, uh Lance's mom, uh, <laughs> who is uh, named Rosa, uh, introduces mm-hmm. herself to Keith 
and it, it says uh, a Spanish accent faded into her words. She's not Spanish. She's accent. not Spanish. She's Mexican, and this is not the only time this uh, mistake is made. Um, this, this happens fic. kind of a lot yeah. in the story, uh, and coupled with the author having made the assumption that uh, Lance's family is uh, Mexican in the first place, uh, simply because we know they're Latino, it kind of comes across like to the author uh, speaking Spanish uh, or being Latino both automatically mean Mexican. Yeah. It's all the same thing the, to this person. The way it was described in that fan lore article I read you was people thought it was racist because people assumed that Lance was Mexican, but it wasn't revealed that he was Cuban yet. It's like, no, that's a perfectly like normal headcanon to make if the only information you have about Lance is that he is Latino. But uh, here it... It's very obvious that the author thinks that uh, being Latino and being Mexican and Spanish are all interchangeable things. Right. It's just, you know, the fact that this was the collective fandom assumption that uh, that says something yeah. about fandom perception of these things. Um, it, uh, it speaks to some, some biases the author might have, like... <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think there was any conscious ill intent in writing this. I don't think anyone's claiming that, but it's just it's just not a great look. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't the only time that this mistake is made. Right. This kind of this kind of happens consistently. Yeah, and you would think that they would go back and fix it. Right. Regarding uh, Keith being Korean, that doesn't matter to the story at all. I uh, just thought I'd put that out there. Completely irrelevant. It's it never matters. Oh, it does matter because we get some except, stereo- yeah, we well, get some except, stereotypes. Except uh, when the when the author wants to uh, make a comment about uh, how Keith is like a stereotypical uh, academic overperformer. Um, yeah, and he does calculus, which is which again is like, based based on based on nothing except that stereotype about East Asians. Okay, literally, we were just talking about this before. It's like there isn't that much information yes. about Keith that is uh, discussed within the first season. He's a very mysterious character, which means that the information that we do get get out of him and the characterization that we do get out of him uh, for the limited screen time that he has is uh, should stand out more. And there's literally a moment yes. where Hunk is making a joke uh, about how, uh, like a very, uh, like a math joke about how like, oh, do you remember this time that our compu- uh, computer science professor made this joke about how blah, 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 blah. And it's like way over my yes. my head, but it's very in character for Hunk because he's like very smart and mathematically inclined. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Keith goes, boring. So from that, we can guess that like that's one of th- We can infer that perhaps he's not a, like a math guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in fact, it seems like if the author... Uh, decided that Keith is a math guy, the only thing that could possibly be based on, because it is the opposite of what's in the show, the only thing that could possibly be based on is their headcanon that he's East Asian. Yeah. So, uh, that's another thing about the story where it's like, hmm, I I kind of get why people were saying this was racist. Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like there might be some racism in this story. Um, but... That's uh, that's just a theory of mine, and I am no ace detective, so you'll have to take it with a grain of salt. All right, we really need to speed this up. Um, we do, we do. Um, it's impossible for us to talk about the story succinctly. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, following this, uh, 
Keith and Rosa kind of uh, introduce themselves uh, to each other. Um, Rosa is uh, quite welcoming. Um, he thanks her for, for letting him stay for Christmas. Uh, she says, don't mention it. And she's always happy when Lance uh, brings home guests. But it turns out she's kind of teasing him as uh, she reveals next that this is actually the first time he's ever brought someone home. So it's exciting. Uh, but she... She seems um, to be welcoming him right into the fold. She's she's quite uh, nice to him. Uh, Lance makes an excuse and drags uh, Keith off uh, to the garage to get the rest of their stuff out of their car. Uh, and he uh, immediately, uh, I think, is about to... Um, I want to point out that it says uh, the two boys traveled to the car in silence, the only sound being the distant nickering of horses a field over and the crunch of gravel under their feet. There are no horses in Arizona. Um, horses need lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of grass. They, in fact, uh, they get sick if they aren't uh, eating grass. They need to constantly have grass in their stomach or they get very sick. Ar yeah, Arizona, I, I... not a really great place for horses to be. <laughs> I don't really expect that they live next door to a, to a like a horse ranch, but anyway, um, uh, weird weird details aside, uh, they they get out of the kitchen and into the garage, and uh, Lance um, immediately goes to complain about this interaction that they've just had with his mom, um, but he gets he gets cut off uh, partway through saying, "My mom is so uh, whatever he was going to say," uh, and Keith says, "Nice." And, uh, after that, uh, that kind of shuts down that conversation and they go and they're getting the suitcases out of the trunk and Keith brings up the subject of, uh, the quote unquote wrestling match he witnessed earlier between, uh, Lance and Benji basically says like, you're shit at wrestling. Uh, your little brother, uh, beat you, dude. Uh, he looks like he weighs like 90 pounds, uh, you're you're so fucking bad at wrestling um and uh he he kind of thinks that you know in his head this is just ribbing this is all in good fun uh but uh, lance uh doesn't react well to to this line of joking and uh says i don't i don't expect you to get it then his, his attitude kind of shifts heath doesn't understand what he did or said that was wrong um and kind of keeps trying to tease um, Lance clearly doesn't want to continue the conversation, is trying to walk away, uh, and finally, uh, ends up just saying, I let him win, uh, to which Keith immediately calls bullshit because, uh, he is the worst detective in the world and has not figured this out already, despite it becoming, like, even if it wasn't already obvious, it's, it becomes increasingly obvious throughout the course of this conversation with how Lance is reacting that Keith has misread the situation badly. But he refuses to elaborate beyond I let my brother win, and this is when the illness implications become pretty clear. There's a fucking cringe-ass paragraph about how uh, yes. Lance was so competitive and he would never let anyone win unless he loved that person more than anyone in the world. Oh, I thought I was about to bring this up too. Unless you destroy uh, a child in every, like, single competitive situation... It means you love them more than anyone in the world. If you let that five-year-old win that game of tic-tac-toe, it means you love them more than anyone in the world. Um, <laughs> like, no, that's just what people do with kids. This is kind of especially a, a, 
a funny way to be thinking given given that like uh, uh keith and lance do have like a canonical rivalry uh-huh uh, <laughs> so that's a potential angle here that's not explored um like oh uh you would never let me win when uh we fight but you'll let your brother win you know that's that's the direction you could take this it doesn't go there um it's it's just brought up uh for the sake of emphasizing that the author understands that one of lance's character traits is that he is competitive uh but keith has to like ace detective the shit together and be like oh if he let his brother win he must love his brother (laughs) Which doesn't read, <laughs> Which like, I, I know this is, damn, that's crazy. I know this is meant to read like Keith isn't very good socially and he doesn't have the prior experience of having like sibling relationships. So he doesn't have like the understanding of how these things work. But again, cultural osmosis, he would be familiar with it unless he was an alien, which is how he acts. Which is funny. There's no because, consistency given to the tone you know, around yes. uh, Keith's, like, emotional insights or lack thereof. Because sometimes it does read like he's an alien. Um, like, it's leaning too hard in a d- direction of Keith as someone who personally hasn't experienced these things, doesn't really understand them. Uh, at other times, uh, he seems pretty remarkably emotionally astute. Uh, especially later when he's interacting with the kids and seems to know exactly uh, how to uh, talk with a five-year-old on their level uh, when he's never had the experience of being around young kids as an adult. Uh, So his personality on this is is basically whatever the plot requires and there's no... um, there's no internal consistency in uh, what his character is and how good he is at navigating these types of situations. It's whatever's required for the plot at this given moment. And because this is supposed to be a twist, he doesn't get it, even though it's already obvious here. It's also not really much of a twist or a reveal. Um, this comes up uh, pretty early in the story. We're not going to get to the it this week, but uh, either next week or the week after, um, we are going to get into... Um, the scene where we're explicitly told uh, that uh, Benji is a cancer survivor. I think it's going to be the week after uh, next week. Yeah, most likely. Uh, It's just that, well, the cancer thing isn't specifically obvious at this point. Uh, It's pretty clear that uh, there is a lot of, like, serious feelings uh, going into um, this dynamic between... Lance and his brother, we've also uh, had it pointed out to us many times that Benji looks sickly and frail and is uh, very, uh, very scrawny in a way that stands out as unusual even for a 16-year-old boy uh, from a family where most of them are described as uh, skinny and lanky. So it's already like pretty clearly um, signaled to us that uh, Benji is ill or is recovering from illness. I have another one of your pet peeves coming up. Yes. Lance, lead Keith up the stairs and down a hallway lined with oh. hardwood floors. Yeah, this is this is another thing. It's never it's never lead, it's always lead. <laughs> Which is a mistake that I make too. So but Solidarity with the author, <laughs> I guess. Um Um I don't but... make many grammar mistakes, but when I do But when you do But when I do lead <laughs> i don't know i don't know yes. um, uh, um again uh 
up the up the stairs and down a hallway lined with hardwood floors doesn't seem like an Arizona house, but I think we've already made our point about that. I also don't think you line your house with floors. <laughs> I think your house has floors. You know what? Uh, uh, the next line, too, is uh, Keith noted the bathroom at the end of the hallway, the door ajar to reveal leftover steam from Benji's shower. Why is... Why do we have that line? You see what I mean? Is that the story can't let let the Benji shower thing alone. It's just constantly being brought up. I don't need to keep being reminded that Benji took a shower. This is not an event to me. And another thing, uh, a lot of times uh, this author keeps describing things as medium-sized, which you don't need to do, because <laughs> if you don't specify that something is either large or small, then the natural assumption <laughs> kind of assume medium size. is that it's going to be medium-sized. And this isn't the only thing this isn't the only time that happens, but it says revealing a medium-sized room with a twin-sized bed pushed into the corner. <laughs> Welcome to my normal room. <laughs> Keith is, uh, is, is, uh, Keith cringed at the Bleach anime poster on the wall, followed by several Star Wars posters and a couple Naruto prints. Um, Keith likes Star Wars, as we are about Keith to find out. Keith likes Star Wars, as we're about to find out, yeah. Um, um but he just fucking He's hates. also the guy who keeps vol- voluntarily watching anime with, uh, with Lance, but, um, it's very cringe, apparently. We have a very, um, immature conversation that I guess is supposed to come off as charming, where Lance whines and complains that his childhood bunk bed, which is too small for him, uh, was taken out of his room and replaced with a, a big twin-size bed and given to Josie, who is nine years old, uh, and, like, it's yeah. not as charming as, um... It's meant to come off uh, Lance's... A lot of Lance's uh, behavior falls into this category where it's it's clearly supposed to be, like, uh, uh, charming and wacky, but um, what could maybe work for um, a 16-year-old boy in an animated medium does not carry across well to a 20-year-old man in prose... Uh, and he comes across uh, very babyish in a way that is not. Yeah, it says. Or it says next. Uh, Lance looked ready to cry, like. And if this was the joke, like Lance, like wiggled his lip and was all, and made puppy dog eyes and was very dramatic and it was kind of like a joke. But that's right. It would be one thing if he was waxing melodramatic for the goof, but it's. It seems like his, his honest feelings are that he's on the verge of tears because his bunk bed got moved to an adjacent bedroom. <laughs> yeah, okay, um, and then uh, then Benji walks in and shakes his curly wet hair to wring it out. Again, stop. <laughs> I get, every time. I get it. He took a shower. And then he, he comments on that how uh, Keith and Lance are going to be cuddling and doing gay stuff, which is like, again, Benji, this isn't appropriate um, for a straight, a 16 year old boy to be commenting on your brother's uh, relationship like that like it's just kind of weird i don't know why this is their dynamic i think they need to establish these boundaries but like this isn't like sibling behavior really if anything i might i might think it was a little more normal if they were closer in age like i could maybe see that dynamic arising if they're like peer age with each other because that that is how you might goof around with a friend yeah and those boundaries might get crossed if you're very close with your sibling but we're talking about a four-year age gap. yeah uh, so I just don't buy that this is their dynamic. And this isn't the only time Benji makes comments like this. I mean, he did it before and he's going to do it It kind again. of happens a lot. Uh, and it's, it's like, it's one thing to have a 16-year-old boy character make sex jokes. Um, a certain amount of that is expected. I expect immature humor from characters this age. 
But when he's joking about his brother's sex life, it just goes into some weird territory where it's like, I don't think he would want to be thinking about that. Yeah, he frankly. keeps, again, this author's giving me huge uh, only child energy, um, which is like... Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, this is, it's... Well, also, the reason these jokes are being made is just like, a character needs to make these jokes to make the story exciting and titillating because... Um, this is this is what sells the ship is like the idea that like ooh they're going to be sharing a bed maybe they'll do gay stuff and so a character has to point that out yeah. but the only character around to do that uh who's at all old enough to even uh like infer that they might be fucking is Benji who by virtue of being Lance's little brother it just puts him in a very weird position it's just odd that Benji's whole character outside of like the tragic uh cancer survivor backstory is that he takes showers and makes sex jokes at his brother's expense yeah um i don't want to dwell on this scene anymore but yeah anyway after after that uh they kick benji out for for making sex jokes it says he practically kicked benji out but no he he kind of just did <laughs> he kicked him out uh, yeah yeah he uh he he maneuvers Benji out the door. Um, they listen uh, to make sure Benji is gone before they start talking, which is a detail I do like because they're they're carrying this on like this is this, a stutter fuse mission. Like, okay, now that they're gone, we can finally uh, speak freely. I don't have to pretend to, your, to be your boyfriend anymore. Like, that's, that's fun and all. Um, but then we get this line that drove me crazy. Because the story needs to advance, uh, the author actually wrote the line, Keith wasn't sure what it was, but he found himself asking a question that was, in a way, very un-Keith-like. J.K. Rowling-ass Tell me line. about your siblings. J.K. Rowling-ass line! <laughs> As if compelled by a mysterious force beyond his control. <laughs> Harry wouldn't do this, but I need him to do this, so I'm just gonna say that he's... Right. He felt possessed, and don't give me any shit about it being the whore cook. As if, crux, as if it wasn't. puppeteered along by authorial <laughs> strings. Um. Okay, so he keeps telling her about the siblings. He mentions Sophia um, and says they don't see her anymore. And Keith says, really? I thought all your siblings loved you. Keith couldn't help the teasing hint in his voice. And this would be a point where, where uh, it, it would... Like, any, in any normal story, it would be like, oh, Keith didn't pick up on how this is, is a touchy subject and that it's not, <laughs> yeah. not, uh... Appropriate to joke about like that, yeah. But luckily for him, I guess, uh, Lance just says, like, oh, I used to fight with Daniel. And then he says, and Cleo? Hell, I was awful to her as a kid. When she was a newborn and I was six, I bit her foot and made her bleed because my mom wasn't paying attention to me. That's like a, which is crazy. That's like a triple triad, <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> I just, the part that gets me is less that he did this to his baby sister, and more that he relates it as though it's a funny goof later, and not like something he did as a kid that was maybe cause for serious concern. He laughed. That definitely sounded like a Lance thing to do, to bite babies. <laughs> uh -huh, that feet. Lance, he's always biting. <laughs> he's always biting babies. <laughs> What? Haha, <laughs> what a story, Mark. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's not funny. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, okay, children, when she, this is when she was a newborn. Children have, I think anybody 
regardless mm-hmm. of how that they they are brought up, have this natural instinct to be very careful around infants. Yeah, that's like a survival of the species type uh, basic instinct thing, I think. Yeah. Um, when I was little, uh, I was definitely around uh, that way with my newborn brother. Um, and my mo- my mother and father would tell me that you have to be very careful. He's very fragile. And I would imagine that if I dropped him, he would shatter into a million pieces. Um, Which Mm -hmm. wasn't that far off. But I think that was a good way of describing (laughs) it to me because I was always very careful with with him. Uh, But imagining this is not normal. And this is related as something that's like, Oh, just normal sibling stuff. At this point, you don't kids don't see like newborns as like people who are their equals in the sense that they can fight with them. This, uh, yeah, this is like um, serious. I can, I... This is serious cause for concern. I know what this is going for. All this is meant to be telling us is that um, there was uh, tension um, between Lance and. Uh, Clea when she was uh, born because um, she was an unwanted younger sibling and uh, he was mad that less attention would be placed on him. I guess there's there's kind of additional weird details the more I think about it, uh, which is like Lance was not the baby of the family at this point. Um, so I don't know why uh, he took offense to this sibling, uh, but not his little brother. Um, but... If you're going to try and make that point that there has been, like, sibling rivalry, jealousy, etc. in this family, uh, this is a weird extreme example. I don't think the author realizes, like, how crazy it sounds to be like, oh yeah, when I was six... I um, bit a baby's foot until it bled. I bit a baby's foot (laughs) until it bled. (laughs) Like, that's, that's crazy. And the fact that he just relates it like this is a goofy story of something I did when I was a kid. And he doesn't even say something like, uh, listen, when I was a kid, I was a little bit fucked up and abnormal. <laughs> um, this is insane. Like, like yeah. I get it that kids, kids do weird things sometimes. I don't know how much space I have to judge this one because I did bite another child in the face in preschool for, for reasons I can't recall. Okay, but, but, but um, that was a child who was your equal. That was a peer. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but I mean, like, my point being, like, little little kids can do, like, weird violent things sometimes on impulse, uh, but this is a crazy extreme example of yeah, that. Yeah, it doesn't apply to a newborn. It's also not an example, it's not an example of sibling bickering. She's a baby. <laughs> she can't do anything. <laughs> This is just an example of him being an asshole to his literal infant baby sister for no reason. (laughs) This is insane. It's not her fault she was born. And a six-year-old... Like, this is crazy. A six-year-old would understand that. (laughs) Surely, yes. (laughs) I was three. A a (laughs) six-year-old knows babies are fragile. I should not harm this baby in any way or they could get hurt because they are a baby. <laughs> right. Anyway, um. moving on. We get the information that uh, Keith's sweatpants are gray. Um, we do. Um, <laughs> it's very important. And then it's very important. Then he uh, then he asks uh, Lance straight up, why does Sophia hate you? Uh, which, is, which is a crazy way uh, to to bring that subject back up when all he said about Sophia so far is that we don't see her anymore. Did he even, did he even say that Sophia hates him? No, he didn't. 
all he said was, you've met all of them but Sophia, we don't see her anymore. Uh, that could mean fucking anything. Keith jumps from that to, oh, she hates you. And then just asks that straight up. Like, if that were true, that's a crazy insensitive way to phrase that question. And, you know, I could believe this if that was the point of Keith's character again. If that was the point. Yeah, but yeah. it's not because later on Keith is just having, like, like therapy speeches that he's giving to Lance. <laughs> yeah. And he knows everyone's emotions. Uh, later on, Keith gets an A in therapy, yeah. so, um... <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> we get, like, a reference to the bonding moment, blah, 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 something in the fic. Yeah, uh, basically, Keith tries to bring up the, the Sophia subject, uh, Lance asks him why he's asking, he clearly doesn't want to answer, uh, Keith is like, uh, cause we're having a bonding moment, uh, Lance just responds saying the bonding moment is over, and the scene, uh, essentially wraps up here with, uh, Lance, uh, I guess, kind of uh, turns away from him in bed or leaves the room or something, uh, Keith ends up falling asleep. And that is the end of uh, what we're reading now. That's where they left it for now, because there's more we're going to have to get into, but we've already gone so long talking about this fucking story. All right. So we've gone for an extremely long time. Uh, this is absolutely going to be our longest episode yet, and it's probably going to be consistently this long uh, for, like, our uh, all of our coverage on Dirty Laundry. There's parts where we're probably going to have to go even longer. There's, there's certain scenes where <laughs> I don't know how yeah. we'll be able to stop talking about it. We haven't for the past uh, over a year or so. And I was rushing you, um, so you, you were... didn't actually say uh, as much as you wanted to, but... Uh, hopefully we'll like maybe next episode we won't even have a second segment so i'm pretty sure i rushed you at points too <laughs> we just have so much to say about this fucking story yeah um and this is our our, our way of shortening it uh because we, we i mean we can't if you think we're getting extremely word. in the weeds here you should you should hear what it's like when we try reading this line by line um oh we we go we we talk like forever over like a paragraph <laughs> It could take us 12 hours to get through this first chapter of the story easily if we did it that way. There's just, there's so much to nitpick. Uh, believe me when I say, like, we're being choosy about what we pick on in the story. There's just so it's, much. I wouldn't even say that it's nitpicking because some of this stuff is just, like, so, like, pointing out that uh, Rosa does not have a Spanish accent. She has a Mexican accent. That's not a nitpick. That's a pretty serious issue. But it's. Oh, all, yeah. But, but what I mean like, is, like. Some of these examples individually, they seem small, but uh, there's a reason we're, we're picking these out. These are, like, pervasive issues in these story, and uh, some of these are, like, pervasive issues across, like, fanfiction in general. Uh, but we still have a second segment to cover, and uh, it's not going to be too long, hopefully, but hopefully. I forced you to sit through the first season of Voltron with me. You uh, did. So you could get the... That's not entirely true. You were the one who suggested it, but... Um, Was I? Yeah. Um, <laughs> once again, I've done this to myself. All right. Um, and so, uh, we're going to talk about it because I think it is kind of, uh, important to discuss, uh, at least the first season. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'll watch the rest of it, but I did watch season one. I did consider that like important, uh, context for this, uh, story. I actually really like the context of you only having seen season one and me having seen the whole thing. Yeah, maybe we should keep it this way for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. 
All right. So we are going to discuss, uh, I guess, Kester's uh, opinion on Voltron season one uh, <laughs> after the break. All right. And we're back. We are back. Uh, so what did you think of Voltron season one? Um, well, I think it's it's true what that Tumblr post said about Voltron. <laughs> uh, you know the post I'm talking about, um, and I regret that it's not in front of me, so I can't quote it directly. Uh, but uh, prior to reading this fanfic, I guess my only real exposure to, to Voltron is that uh, I have been using tumblr for uh roughly the past 11 years and uh so i was aware when voltron became very popular because i was seeing it uh on the dash other people were talking about it i have it here the o op is Safotes, and it says voltron being so popular is like everyone raving about an amazing restaurant and you go there and they just serve plain thin toast and all the happy smiling customers have brought their own jam yeah I think about that post constantly, because for a while that was kind of the only thing I knew for sure about Voltron, was that it had this this fandom of people who just seemed to think it was the greatest thing ever, and I couldn't really figure out why. Uh, full disclosure, I did try to watch Voltron, um, uh, I think probably around the time it first came out. Um, I watched episode one and got bored and never continued it. So that's my true initial impression of Voltron. You know, coming from someone who's pretty deep in the fandom, uh, nobody mm -hmm. ever really thought it was that great. Um, but there was this kind of allure to it. Uh, it had a lot of potential. There was a lot of stuff that you could do. And there were possibilities of maybe some good stuff happening eventually. And that's often kind of the perfect breeding ground for a fandom, right? It's, it's a work that's... Uh could go in a lot of different directions. Uh, that prompts a lot of fandom speculation as to uh, where the story is going. Um, people get excited about the different possibilities. They like to speculate, come up with theories. Um, uh, that kind of thing usually goes hand in hand, uh, and did in this case with uh, ship teasing. Uh-huh. And so you can get why uh, a lot of shipping fanfics uh, sprung up from this one in particular. We have a... Uh, main cast who uh, I think for the most part they're around the same age right like Pidge is younger and Shiro is older but the rest of them all seem like uh, mid to late teens around 17 yeah so because of that and because this is like a the power of friendship type show um focused on these characters like uh getting to know each other better and developing uh, developing bonds with each other this is kind of prime ground for uh shipping uh, so I, I completely get that aspect of it, why that's something a fandom would latch on to. Um, in terms of how the show actually is, I would say season one is like, it's alright. It's maybe going somewhere. It's a relatively solid kid show, I think. Yeah, um, it's like, I think it takes a couple episodes to kind of hit its stride. 
I think the writing gets uh, less awkward as the show goes along. Um, there were, like, more jokes that worked for me uh, in the latter half of season one than in the first half when it seemed like things were just kind of setting up. I do have some gripes uh, with oh. it. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what yours are because, I mean, there's a lot that I could say, but... What, what yeah, okay, first? well, this is this is just off the top of my head. I've already, like... Uh, a half of this show was in one ear and out the other. Uh, I'll be quite honest, like, it, it didn't make a huge impression uh, on me. Uh, this is not something, like, outside of the fandom context and us covering this uh, fanfic. I think I could easily watch this and forget about it for the rest of my life. I mean, the half the time we were actually talking over it about Dirty Laundry. <laughs> right, but even, even so, it wasn't something I felt particularly engaged by. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I don't think is just a me problem because I I can get pretty engaged with uh, cartoons like that's that's something that's happened before. This one wasn't hitting, uh, but it often feels like it it comes close to being something good. However, uh, I'm going to complain about it now. Um, yeah, Hunk objectively, I want to say uh, is one of the better characters in the show. Yes, uh, a lot of the funny jokes are him. Uh, his voice acting is consistently good. Yes. He is uh, pretty consistently charming and likable. Uh, however, half the time uh, the, the joke, joke involving him fat. is just a fat joke. He's quite funny on his own. He has good quips, but he's also um, slotted into being the, the comic relief character because he's the fat guy. And the joke is always just that he's fat and likes to eat. He's also Samoan, so it's like... Yeah, it's a little bit. Of, it's of a little bit of a twofer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, it's uncomfortable, um, and it's it's a shame because uh, I actually really like him as a character. Like uh-huh. beyond that, he just kind of gets uh, getting used for this uncomfortable joke, which is it's not funny the first time, and it's increasingly less funny the more they keep going back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is, I think something I said to you when we were watching the show is that Voltron, uh, feels like sci-fi that was made by people who don't engage with sci-fi. Yes, uh, and I, I, I like to tack on to that. This is a science fiction show that's written like a fantasy. That, that, and that sounds cooler than it actually is. Yeah, I think we have to clarify what we mean by that, because I'm not just talking about, like, oh, it's soft sci-fi, which it is, and that's fine. But the stock, like, character tropes that it's pulling from are fantasy tropes, uh, not sci-fi tropes. This show does do, like, a fair number of sci-fi tropes, but it does them in a way where... It's hard to explain this. It just just reads to me like the writers are not familiar with how this trope usually goes in sci-fi. Yeah, um, this isn't true for all sci-fi, but one of the main characteristics of of science fiction is that it is to some extent, extrapolative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Voltron just isn't that at all. It's kind of just all fantasy tropes. Yeah, I think this is kind of what I was getting at when I said uh, this is like sci-fi uh, by people who don't engage with sci-fi because um, I think the common thread that science fiction has as a genre is that it's uh, asking questions um, mm-hmm. it's, it's posing questions about, uh, and I mean, this depends on the particular genre of sci-fi, but something like this, where it's, uh, taking place, uh, in space, uh, 
exclamation point, um, would often be, uh, focusing on questions of, like, what's out there in the universe? Are we alone? Like, um, if there are other civilizations out there, uh, how much are they like us? And in what ways do they differ? Uh, can we all learn to get along? You know, like, these are, these are questions that sci-fi is posing and trying to answer, and in doing so, it's usually providing social commentary on... Our current society. Uh, Voltron is not posing any of those questions. It's using the sci-fi stuff as set dressing to tell its story, which is grounded in fantasy tropes. A very easy way to do this would... And it it honestly seems like that's the way the story is going. But Mm -hmm. with, like, the first scene being Pidge's family uh, is captured by the Galra because they are on Pluto. And it kind of begs... The question, like, oh, maybe that wouldn't have happened if humanity hadn't gone too far with their technology. Is it really a good thing to do, right. do this? Has science gone too far? My parents have been captured on Pluto. Pluto. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it be fucked up if that happened? Yeah, and but it just doesn't do that. It's it's later revealed that oh, they were going to go to Earth anyway. Right. Like that's um that's not a narrative question that we have. It's not um. There's nothing that that brings up about, like, uh, the consequences of humanity's uh, desire to explore the cosmos, no matter the, the personal cost. Like, it's not it's not questioning the nature of humanity that uh, one planet is not enough for us and we, we try and go out and take over the rest of uh, the known universe as well. Uh, like, there's there's no statement being made. It, it doesn't matter. And I'm not, I'm not very, I'm not that into fantasy. I mean... I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm just not that into it. I I think you said something like fan, uh, fantasy, science fiction is telling us about what could be, and fantasy is telling us about how the world is now, which is definitely the way that Voltron is written, because it's it, everything that's established in, in Voltron could be told with a fantasy story. Just replace it all with fantasy tropes instead of science fiction ones. It's just like I don't really know if we're why we're using uh, these sci-fi tropes if they're not um, if they don't mean anything here. Yeah. Uh, I think the closest it gets to any of the sci-fi stuff uh, having bearing on like the themes of the show is just the way that the the Voltron works, and this is this is a a mech deal where they they all have like a separate part of the mech that they pilot, and they can come together into uh, one gigantic mech. Uh, if they all, like, uh, work together and the, there's, like, a trick to it where they have to be, like, all in tune with each other. Initially, the fact that they don't know each other well and uh, are, to a large extent, like, standoffish uh, around each other um, inhibits them from doing this. Uh, and as the show continues, they learn to uh, work better together. Like, you, you get it, that whole trope. Uh, yeah. There's no reason that has to be sci-fi specifically that could easily be a... The power of magic as a metaphor for friendship thing. Um, it's just like, that doesn't specifically have to be sci-fi, and that's kind of the only element that's actually, um, that's the only sci-fi trope that's actually being used to explore something. Yeah. And it's not even specifically a sci-fi trope. This is just the sci-fi version of that trope. You know, the other thing is actually from my favorite episode, uh, which I mentioned to you is that, uh, you know how Laura's father is dead but his personality was put into an ai and oh, so yes she... this is 
this is another big one that prompted me thinking like they haven't seen how this is typically done in sci-fi have they because there's no there's no playing around with the trope in the way that i would expect for something that's been so done to death anyway it's uh 2001 a space odyssey uh it's like i mean it's it's exactly what you said it's how like these people know sci-fi tropes from cultural osmosis but they haven't actually engaged with science fiction science fiction in the way where they can like know to take the themes and use them in memorable ways to actually make a point okay because the point of doing a scene like that the point of having um a uh, character who is an AI and there's a question as to whether this is a real person or, or not it's it's to draw into question like the nature of like uh what uh what constitutes uh true sapience what makes something human uh can we ever say that a computer is a person uh can an AI ever be your friend like these are questions that a lot of sci-fi works tackle there are many different takes you can have on this um it's uh, one of those things that just keeps coming back up again and again in this genre. There have been so many takes on this. Uh, like you said, there's clearly an extent to which this is pulling from like 2001 A Space Odyssey and other like uh, famous examples of um, a character running up against an AI's uh, inhuman nature. Uh, there are so many ways to do this. This doesn't really engage with that in any way that means anything in fact it's very unclear uh what we're really supposed to make of this is the ai representation allura's father true to how her dad really is i mean what is this happens... just like <laughs> i mean even though it was my favorite episode we were we were tearing it apart because it's like there's so many ways that this this could be done, like, more interestingly. And it's like, I want to see it done more. And to clarify, and... I love this shit. Like, I love I love stuff about, like, uh, questioning whether, whether an AI is a person or not. Like, a lot of my favorite fiction tackles this exact question. I've seen a lot of takes on this that I love. This could be good. You know what really d- does it for me is, like, yes. the whole time we know that her the, the her father's ai is being like corrupted by this evil force and that she needs to destroy it even though it means leaving behind uh, uh destroying like the, the memory, memory of her, her father but that's not really true either because the memory of her father is inside of her and the legacy lives on through her and voltron um but that should have that should be the takeaway and somehow it isn't yeah because the last thing he says is I love you Alora which is like wait so it was her dad I don't get it right um <laughs> and there's never enough focus on this dynamic between her and the AI of her dad before for us to have a clear read on this uh are we meant to think that this AI is truly an accurate sapient represent- representation of her dad that essentially she still has her dad even though he's died or is it like this AI is a simile and mm-hmm. the only reason it's at all convincing to her is because she's retreating into the past and preferring uh to live w- with this digital version of her dad than to like properly like process the grief and move on and this is another thing that so many stories that deal with um uh humanity and ai have have tackled is like what if you had an ai uh or a robot version of a dead person xenosaga um, tackles this exact subject and that's why it's my favorite game series of all time and like one of one of the lines that 
I won't give context for it because it, it is truly incredible, is um, uh, if I run in, away into the past, all I'm doing is repeating the misery inside me, which is definitely the kind of thing that we should have taken away from Alora's scene with her father, but that's just, like, not... Yeah, not there's the also um, another example I can think of is there's a, there's a Black Mirror episode uh, that is this trope. Uh, which it's been a while since um, I've seen it, but uh, essentially um, this uh, woman, her her husband, uh, I think he's her husband, maybe fiance. Anyway, he dies tragically, and she, because uh, this is like a near future setting, she turns to some um, uh, service uh, that's able to uh, digitally uh, recreate her husband and for at first this is in the form of like uh simulated texts from him you know from an ai pretending to be him um and it eventually uh ramps up until she's got she's got an ai uh that's been designed to look and act exactly like him and this is all sold to her as like a tool to aid her through the grieving the grieving process but of course it's just keeping her uh from properly processing the grief and moving on. And uh, I don't remember exactly how the episode goes, but I, I believe, you know, it, it eventually hits her that this is not her husband. This is this this thing that she's allowed into her house, um, in, into her bed that is, is, not, is not real, is not the man that she loved. Uh, but she, she can't properly move past that because she's been, she's been clinging to this instead of grieving properly. Because technology offered this to her as a crutch, and that's the point, and that could be the point here with Allura, is that because this technology was available to her, uh, this is how she's coped with her dad's death, but that's not really coping at all because she hasn't properly grieved his loss. Yeah, but, but she's also the thing is... instead convinced herself that she hasn't really lost him. But also the thing is that it's not actually treated as a problem until the AI turns evil. Yes, that's the issue. She's, like, losing sleep, spending time in the, like, AI chamber talking to this hologram of her dad who isn't really her dad and just, like, reliving the memories of, of her past. And it's, like... The way you could do this with nuance is that, uh, you know, um, the AI of her dad turns evil and she wants to try and find a way to, to fix him. Uh, whereas everyone else takes the logical approach of we need to pull the plug on that AI of your dad. Yeah. And that's not something she's willing to do. And that should have been the conflict. That for her, she has to process the loss of her dad all over again. When to them, it's like, uh, well, we have a rogue AI on board and that's bad. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, we're talking about this a lot. This is one of the best episodes in the whole series. So uh, Yeah, it is. It is. Honestly, I agree. It is one of the best episodes. Uh, but part of why I think it's so strong is because it raises all these interesting questions it then doesn't do anything with them. Yeah, all the characterization is good as well. We get to see yes. everyone else doing their own little thing on board the ship, which uh, Vol Voltron never really takes the time to do. It's always like action sequence, action sequence, ac action sequence. Um, right, and just and that we, get... we have this little bit of downtime with the characters uh, does a lot to sell their relationships with each other, which uh, that's kind of like the driving point of the show. So yeah, that's important. Allegedly. Um, allegedly it's about these characters and their bond with each other, but, um... But we are know. talking about it so much because it is the closest to being good. Right. Uh, I feel like I have to go harder on this episode because, uh, even though it is, uh, definitely one of the stronger ones, uh, that's partly because it comes... 
so close to being like truly really interesting and it just doesn't go there it pulls its punches okay do you want to talk about pidge because i know i have the strongest yeah, feelings yeah um do you want me to give any thoughts on pidge first because i uh i mean i know all you I have, have a to lot say, to say about pidge i hate pidge <laughs> uh pidge in season one um I mean, she is not that bad in season one, but... Yeah, uh, in season one, I can kind of see the character go going either way. I know from you which way it does go. Okay, okay, here, here, here's the thing. Pidge is, her character is that she is, she's very socially isolated due to her interests, uh, which, uh, and, and also the fact that she's way smarter than all the other kids in her class. So she doesn't have many friends her age. Her best friends are her father and her her, her older brother. Um, so she has a lot of trouble interacting with these new people. And uh, she, ha uh, sh she often says or does things that hurt people's feelings, even though she doesn't intend to. She's very blunt. Um, yes. But she doesn't actually grow in that way or face any consequences for her actions. Like, I mean, I'll mention this because... It, it's going to be relevant when we talk about Alexi's characters. I'm, I am autistic. Um, so I, I can completely relate to, uh, saying or doing something that hurts someone else's feelings without, uh, without me intending to. Yeah. And as I have grown as a person, I have learned to get better with that and learn right. from my mistakes and uh, apologize when I hurt someone's feelings. Um, but this right. never happens and with And we Pidge. should also be fair to Pidge that she is 14 and she's in a very yeah. high-stakes situation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so this is this is behavior that's, uh, it's truly not, like, shocking. It's, but it is what I would expect to be the starting point for her character, like, before character development. And instead, uh, I guess from what I'm hearing from you, uh, the narrative kind of reaffirms uh, Pidge in how she behaves, and mm -hmm. there are never any narrative consequences for her acting like an asshole, even if she doesn't intend to be one. So Pidge uh, it has disguised herself as a boy in order to uh, pose as um, her older brother, or maybe a different son, I don't know. Uh, the reason for it is kind of contrived, honestly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, she's uh, she's posing as a boy is the is the important thing, and this is this is a reveal. It's a bit of an odd reveal because um, it's not really a question I had in my head prior to this being revealed, and it's also a pretty early reveal, like I think episode three. Yeah, like episode four or five, I think. But we yeah, we have, it's it's, I mean, er we have it's early, it. and it's not really like um, it's not really something I was wondering about prior to it yeah. being brought up. So it's it's a little bit of like a non-reveal, like oh, that's cool, I guess. There are absolutely ways that this character can be done, um, where they they do and say things that hurt other people and create problems, and they don't mean to, but they learn from it. In Trapta, in Shira, and this is a perfectly mm -hmm. apt comparison because they are both children's cartoons. Um, yes, is uh, well, she was actually intended to be autistic, like literally. Um, okay, so consciously written that way. Yes. Whereas with with Pidge, I don't I don't really know. with Pidge it's just a headcanon. Um, and she it's been a long time since I watched watched Shira. It's yeah. it's pretty good. I like Shira a lot. It's definitely better than Voltron. It has its flaws, but not as many. This but is what anyway. I've heard about it. Yes. Yeah. Um. Stay tuned for our, our uh, Shira podcast uh, coming up. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> no. Um. And uh, she's she's autistic, and she often does things that cause problems for other people. 
Uh, like, she'll mm-hmm. go off on her own and do things uh, and not work with other people and not make a plan with everyone and wander off and try yeah. to do her own thing. And there's a scene where they are very mad at her about it and she's like, but I was only trying to help. Are you telling me that this is that you're mad at me and they're like yeah we're mad at you you keep messing things up Uh uh-huh and she realizes there's consequences there's consequences to my actions and i have to work with other people if i want them to like me because i mean her goal is is to get people to to like her and yeah I, i like the way that that's done a lot but with pidge it's like what if there was a girl who was an asshole to everybody and she got away with it because she was a girl which i guess is like the writer's girl boss move it's like well you thought that she wasn't very good at in stem because she was a girl well now she's being an asshole to you and it's like well first of all i didn't think that and i don't actually know i mean i guess we do get some comments that the world that voltron is in is uh like sexist i mean it's like 20 30 years in the future probably so probably not a lot has changed but right I guess that's the implication is that like people underestimate her because she's young and a girl, and in yeah, response, she's I would an think the young people. thing is more of an issue because again, she is the youngest uh, person there by a, a fair bit. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but any anyway, uh, I think we're we're led to infer that uh, she's underestimated because of her gender and feels like she has like a chip on her shoulder, something to prove because of that. Uh, that's, that's fine, that's perfectly fair, but if we're going to, if we're going to bring that up, if there's going to be, like, a misogyny angle here, it's kind of weird that that's not a part of Allura's character. It's not like Pidge is the only girl in the show. Oh, do you, do you know why? Do you know why there's more <sighs> focus on Pidge than Allura? I might have a theory as, as, as to why, uh, and it relates to what I'm about to bring up, is that, uh... Pidge and Allura as, like, the two uh, uh, main uh, female characters in this show um, have some interactions with each other um, that I think are meant to be, like, uh, you know, girl squabbling. Mm-hmm. Uh, except that the way these goes is that, like, uh, uh, the, the, way, the way these fights go is that um, Pidge is blunt and an asshole. Uh, Allura is like you know some sort of space princess and uh someone who um she's very she's someone who behaves with a lot of decorum um she would she would never like stoop to the same level of rudeness that uh pidge is on and that's not to say that she's a doormat she's she's not she's not a doormat but she's uh, she's like you know she has to be the bigger person and and take the high ground here but what that often leads to in practice is Pidge just kind of shows up, walks all over her, is an asshole, and there are no narrative consequences for Pidge behaving like an asshole. And that doesn't really read as girl power when the dynamic is also just like the white girl is an asshole to the black girl every week on TV. Yeah, um, a, a, a scene I want to bring up, and mm-hmm. you know what, it's not only with her and Allura, it's also with her and every other character. Well, that's the other thing. It's like, if, if we're going to bring in the misogyny angle, we probably need to discuss the race angle and how we have this white girl running around uh, being an asshole to a cast that's largely uh, characters of color. Yeah, and I'm saying it, it's... it's Everyone in Voltron is not white except for Pidge. Well, Keith, Keith, we don't know, but... She's uh, not really an asshole to him, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does she interact with him? Like, barely, right? 
Keith is just kind of there in season one for most of it. I think they have a couple moments, maybe, but not in maybe. season one. Um, yeah, um, I guess we should talk about Keith and Lance as well. I want to uh, save that, that for last. I want to talk of, about... Yeah. Specifically, I want to talk about the scene in, I don't know what episode, who cares, um, where... Mm-hmm. Episode whatever. <laughs> uh, Pidge and Allura are talking, and Allura has heard through the grapevine that Pidge is actually a girl, and so she's excited because she's like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only girl here. And right. so she tries to, like, hint hint at Pidge. Uh, like, I know it's okay to tell me, kind of. Yeah, um, and Pidge is just very blunt, and, uh, Allura kind of backpedals, like, oh, maybe she's not ready to tell me, and she says, mm-hmm. like, well, we're similar because we both lost our fathers, and Pidge yes. just goes, yeah, well, I'm going to get mine back, and, and, and yeah. Allura <laughs> kind of gets this shocked expression on her face, and, and Pidge goes, oh, sorry, uh, and, and Allure goes, no, it's okay. Like, she's very understanding. Right. But that's clearly, uh, it's not actually okay. Yeah, it's... That one and, hurts. And also, it's, uh, Pidge does, in this moment, realize that she's sent something out of line. Yes. But then she kind of says the same thing again when they start arguing. And goes, like, whatever, yeah. sorry, bye. And in any other show, there would be a scene where the two make up. Yeah, I kind of expected there to be some closure on that. Uh, but Allura's feelings don't matter because she's a strong black girl, I guess. Allura's feelings apparently do not matter, uh, but it does matter that no one ever tells Pidge that she's wrong. Allura is consistently traumatized and re-traumatized throughout the series, and this is a big issue that I am not um, capable of going into because I am white, and you are too. But yes. But I have seen a lot of other black women talk about this and Allura's um, portrayal in Voltron and the way that she is treated. But yeah, this is something that has definitely been talked about. Like, I think even as as someone who hasn't watched Voltron till now, yeah. like I was aware that this conversation was going on. It's uh, it's something Vol- Voltron has been criticized uh, for, I think, for very good reason. Mm hmm. You can just kind of see the the hints of that in season one. Um, it feels like it could pull itself out of that. Uh, just going off season one alone. Uh, I have it on good authority, however, that it does not. Because uh, again, like the stuff with Pidge would be fine if this is if this is set up. It, it's not like uh, this behavior is all at all unrealistic for you know a fourteen year old. Yeah, a fourteen-year-old who is in a very high-stakes situation and right. has lost Right, and it's her also family, it's also but... fine for characters to behave badly, but the fact that there's just no narrative consequences for this behavior—it's like, oh, we're just supposed to think she's right. I I don't think that. <laughs> what I'm getting from Pidge's behavior in the show is just like, yeah, she's an asshole to everyone, but it's okay because she's really smart. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it it reads like, yeah, she's an asshole, but she tells it like it is. Yeah. Which uh. <laughs> I don't think she does. Um, I'm not sure you can write a 14-year-old who is that, uh, yeah. for the record, because they just don't have enough life experience to know what they're talking about, uh, even the smartest 14, 14-year-old. But um, it, it's just like, uh, while there's some narrative acknowledgement that she's blunt, um, That's just she's always like her... justified. It's just yeah. made into her character quirk. This is just who she is. She's just kind of rude. Yeah. I think it's, like, meant meant to be cute and endear her to us, and it, it, it doesn't. doesn't. 
Yeah. I mean, it might if you thought it was going somewhere, but I can tell you that it's not. I would like it if it was a uh, starting point of a character arc, which well, it maybe isn't. You sh- maybe you should watch uh, She-Ra then, um, <laughs> because they do it with Entrapta. Okay. Um, <laughs> Filing that one away. Anyway. Okay. Should we talk about Keith and Lance? We don't have anything to say about Shiro, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he's there. Talk- <laughs> Easily one of the guys who's there. He's gay, but we don't get that until, like, the seventh season. Yeah. Um, he's also- just he's just kind of the token <laughs> adult man. Also, <laughs> the, the moment he's revealed as gay, he gets sidelined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> That's right. That that is what we want when we ask for representation. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have anything to say about him. Uh he doesn't really do much. He's another guy who happens to be there. Lance is like one of the most in focus characters in the season. Uh I think he's sort of the closest thing the show has to a protagonist, although Yeah, until I guess Keith technically steals all of them his fucking are the... spotlight. <laughs> oh, does he do that? Yeah. That's really funny, because he's barely in season one. Yeah. Uh, but sh- should we talk about, like, their initial interaction? Yeah. Um, okay, so the I- initial reaction is that uh, Lance sees... Uh, Lance has this one-sided rivalry with Keith that Keith doesn't know about. And when he references it to Keith, Keith is kind of confused because he doesn't really remember who Lance is and wasn't under the impression that they had a rivalry or were equals in any way. But Lance insists right. on this and this makes Keith angry and so he he stoops down to Lance's level and they continue the rivalry, which is very funny because it was would be very easy for Keith to take the high ground and be like, well, good luck with that one-sided rivalry you have going on. <laughs> right. Um, but, <laughs> Good uh, luck with uh, fighting the fantasy version of me you invented in your head. I'm going to be doing something else. Uh, like, <laughs> that is the normal person response to this, but... But instead he stoops down to Lance's level and takes on his, his rivalry and was like, oh, Lance, you're so... Uh, which, which makes it really funny when, when Keith stoops down to Lance's level because he didn't have to, but that's right. just... Right, for me... That, it's like, this is what immediately sells the ship, is the idea that, like, Lance has the stupid, like, uh, completely one-sided rivalry that he's invented in his head, and Keith, upon hearing this, proceeds to get, like, all in on it. Yeah. For no reason. Um, it's like, his willingness to just go along with this sells that character dynamic to me. Uh, yes. That he's, like, yes-anding uh, Lance's bit about them being rivals. There was no reason he had to do that. And the yeah. fact that they immediately fall into this uh, implies that there's that there's some reason that these two uh, are playing off of each other like this. Uh, it's something where you can see them easily being set up as like characters who are counterparts to each other. One thing that is very in- apparent through this is that they're both quite competitive. Uh, Lance is more, like, outwardly, like, boastful, uh, whereas Keith is, uh, quieter about it, um, but apparently has, has just as much of, as of a, like, hot-headed competitive streak as Lance does. Um, yes. Because he's, he's instantly all in on this. I completely get, based, even on this initial scene, I see why people would see this and go, like, oh, maybe this is going somewhere. I would just like to state up front, if you are not familiar with Voltron, there is no romance between Keith and Lance in canon at all. 
Right. 100%. Lance is never referenced as bisexual or gay or otherwise. Uh, He goes out with Allura. Um, Being bisexual is a very common headcanon for Lance, which is its own issue, maybe, because... Well, I mean, it stems from the issue of... uh, I guess it the kind show of brushes itself on is like, like he, uh, he's, he's Latino and he's flirty, and then he's flirty, yeah, so he it's, must be it's bisexual. It's sort of the, the fetishization um, aspect to it, uh, and it's like it, it it you can't really blame the fandom that much for interpreting his character that way because he is flirty, but also he it's is a stereotype that, way. Yeah, that bisexual yeah. people are flir- flirty, and he's flirty, and he's Latino, and so that's a stereotype. It's 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 a whole. This is something you see with with fandom headcanons is that. Uh, like in this instance, uh, Lance is written as flirtatious because he's Latino, which is the writer stereotyping him. The fandom just then takes that and uh, interprets Lance is flight flirtatious as Lance is bisexual, which is stereotyping him in another direction. I mean, my personal head, I don't really know how I feel about it now because I don't care. But definitely right. my headcanon was that Keith was gay and Lance was bisexual. And this was like the headcanon for a lot of people. Keith doesn't show any attraction for any girls in the show at all but he doesn't show any attraction for any boys so yeah keith keith's sexuality is never referenced um we have nothing to go on one way or the other with him yeah. um i think i should i should be clear that i don't think there is any intentional ship teasing between the two of them in season one yeah i think what there is is an attempt to set up a rival dynamic however because uh keith's character in particular is out of focus this reads ambiguously uh, that sort of setup uh, can imply multiple things about where a character relationship is going. And without further context from the rest of the show, uh, you could interpret it in multiple ways. One of those ways being that they might be uh, attracted to each other. Uh, it's easy to see why a fandom would jump on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that was actually in the writer's minds. Um, and this is something they they did kind of uh, ship tease later, right? They leaned into that a little bit, but they didn't do, didn't do anything with it. It's it's kind of hard to say. You know, the thing is with Voltron, and I, I, I only heard this like secondhand, so I'm not sure if it's entirely accurate. But apparently, Voltron was not fully planned out in advance, like shows are supposed oh, to be. I'm shocked. Yeah. To anyway, the, continue. The point where they are, weren't actually sure what who Lance's love interest was going to be, or or I guess more accurately, you could say they weren't sure who Alora was going to end up with. Uh, there are some scenes that you can draw from season one that Sh- Shiro and her had some romantic tension, but she's only yeah. a teenager and he's 25. Well, maybe this was like before they decided on his age. I don't know. It could have been that. Um, but what appears I, to be the I case... Wasn't, I got confused about her age from those scenes. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if she was meant to be the same age as them or if she's like early 20s. The, like, uh, fandom consensus. Um, they didn't know if if she was going to end up with Keith. There was kind of a shippy moment in the second season. Um, basically, not a lot of stuff was planned out beforehand. Uh, which makes you think that, you know, the way the relationships developed is that they totally could have made Clance happen. Um, uh-huh. Because it, like, I don't know, it seemed to work. It's like the blue versus red, the the opposites attract, they have a good dynamic. Right, it's that trope. We um, know that trope. I mean, and this happened with uh, Legend of Korra. Like, Korra and Asami were not initially written as romantic interests. They decided that later on because they thought they had a good dynamic. And that's the kind right. of stuff that happens in yeah. these shows. 
Right. That's uh, that's uh, absolutely a decision they they could have made. Um, and I think they would have had something to go on. Yeah, and in Breaking Bad, Jesse wasn't originally. So we talk about Breaking Bad so much. I'm so sorry. We talk I've about only Breaking watched, Bad a lot. It's because I've only watched one television show. Um, that's besides right. Voltron and Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, and that's Breaking Bad, and that's where we kind of meet in the middle, is that we both like Breaking Bad, so we talk about we Breaking Bad We have watched Bad Breaking Bad. One day I'll watch uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! and then we can talk about that too. <sighs> it's my favorite show in the entire world, but I don't think you will. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you will. Well, I'm, I'm I... probably going to be forced to watch that, uh, that one part anyway. Yu-Gi-Oh! GX? No, the other I, one. I will anyway. go on and on and on and on about Yu-Gi-Oh! GX with you. Yeah, you but... you might force me to watch that part. <laughs> um, that part, it's like 200 episodes. Uh, the, it's a part of, of Yu-Gi-Oh! As a, as a broader thing, you know what I mean. Okay. okay. Um, uh, but the thing that really gets me about this is that I watched that scene, that initial scene between Keith and Lance, and I instantly get it. Okay, this is the dynamic that people liked. This is why this was a popular ship. This is not their dynamic in Dirty Laundry. Nope. This is not at all. <laughs> and this is like, um... Keith is just maybe accurately written for like the first part, for the first scene, or maybe like the car ride too, and then he's just like the depressed, quiet twink. Uh, Lance is, I'd say, uh, generally recognizable. Lance gets, uh, gets more screen time, more dialogue in, uh, season one than Keith does by far. There was more to go off of. Um, some aspects of how he's written here, uh, do, uh, seem, like, reasonably in character, or at least, like, um, a Flanderized version of the character. Uh, mm -hmm. Keith kind of seems like he's invented from whole cloth most of the time here, which, granted, there wasn't a lot to go on, uh, but what little there was to go on is pretty much out the window. Um, in the show, uh, their dynamic is clearly based around this, this stupid rivalry that they have that Lance basically invents for no reason, and Keith decides to go along with for, again, reasons unclear, and that's, that's compelling. It's like, uh, these these two uh play off each other in this particular way and that's that's fun here's what we know about keith in the show keith in the show is hot-headed mm -hmm. lives in the middle of the desert in a shack he does a lot of investigating on his own he investigates like the ruins of voltron so he's Ace detective <laughs> he's pretty observant <laughs> mm -hmm. he rides a motorcycle thingy which i think is it's implied that he fixed up himself so okay if you want to go that route with like i mean he hates the toyota in terms of skills he's yeah. good with vehicles okay and this is only season one information we get a lot more of him in right the later i don't i don't like the way his character develops in voltron but still uh first season uh he doesn't like math he doesn't understand yep. jokes which another great big head canon is that Keith is autistic, but that's much less... Uh... That's not in the story also. Yeah, that's also not intended in this story, and I can tell you exactly why, is that we would be told yes. every second, because of how big uh, a deal it is when it is revealed that Alexi is autistic, who is a character... Yeah, there is, that... there is an explicitly autistic character in the story, and it's not Keith. Yeah, so... Um, but I think that's a valid way to read him. He, d he doesn't understand some jokes. 
And uh, what else would you say? I guess it's not just that he doesn't understand some jokes. It's it's more like a general inability to really read social cues that he demonstrates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's unclear if uh, exactly what's behind that. It, it may be just an unwillingness to play along. Um, because again, mm-hmm. he's so out of focus that it's it's hard to know. Oh, uh, on his on his day off, he decides to go to the training arena and start training. Uh, yeah, I would, I would say overall he comes off like he's, he's very focused and goal oriented and and driven is kind of the impression you get because he's off doing his own thing so much of the time. He Uh doesn't seem very interested in socializing with them as a group. He's, uh, evidently quite introverted. He's not really interested in, um, uh, goofing around or making friends with, uh, the rest of them, uh, and... I think he kind of tries to give it off an air like he's above it all, uh, which we know he's not uh, because he's stooping to engage in this petty rivalry with Lance, which part of why that reads is so charming is because he's otherwise trying to play off like he's reserved and aloof. Yeah. That's what really makes that works and and sells that, is that this is a particular dynamic he has with Lance that does not extend to how he behaves with anyone else. Mm-hmm. But still, like, at the core of this dynamic that they have is that rivalry. So we don't get a lot of um, information about Keith in the first season, but what we do get is pretty telling. Yes. Um, I think we have enough enough to, like, have a basic idea of what the character dynamic is. Um uh, like, first of all, it seems extremely obvious to me that this is a character dynamic that is based around, at the very least, the pretense of them being rivals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is odd for that to not be a component of this story. Uh, there's times in this fic when their rivalry is referenced. Yeah. However, it's never more than, like, a superficial reference where the narrative explicitly tells us that they are competitive with each other when they're at college. You remember that from the show, don't you? Yeah, it's it's just like a reference back to what their dynamic is in canon. None of that carries forward in a way that matters. Um, and it absolutely could. Uh, there are ways that they could get competitive about the fake dating thing. Uh, I think it would be quite funny if um, they're trying to outdo each other in selling the story to Lance's family. That could be a, a, a pretty good comedy premise. Yeah, we have a bunch of rewrites that we'll get we to. We have so many rewrites. Um They're I think so good. I think we are writers. the the um I think we're the top two uh Clance fanfiction authors at this point, uh with mm-hmm. all the scenarios we've we've come up with uh yeah. to improve the story. So uh, you know, if if anyone's coming to this episode uh thinking that we're Clance haters, um I think I think we are actually the number one Clance uh fans at this point. I was literally pacing around thinking about that stuff we talked about earlier today with uh yeah. one of the characters later on but we'll get to that yeah there's uh there's so much we're gonna have to get into um later on with with the story uh we've already talked for like four hours <laughs> there's there's so much okay all right we need to end this um we do is that all you have to say about the show for now? oh god for now i think probably there's probably more stuff that will come up um as we continue going back through the fic, but I, I think that's all I can really think to say off the top of my head. It's like, uh, you can see where it has some potential. It's it's kind of messy. At the same time, that's the sort of thing that uh, fandom likes to grab onto because there's the suggestion of something more being there. Uh, it just 
didn't really materialize for the show, I guess. You know, A Legend of Korra season one was like, it was good. I, I would say that it's a lot better than Voltron, but it ends up getting a lot better in my opinion, in, in the later seasons, like, so This could easily be a promising first season of a very yeah. good show. I can, I can really imagine, like, uh, after season one, that, uh, season two could pick up and it could be kick-ass. Mm-hmm. We're given everything we need for a pretty solid premise. It's just, it kind of takes a while to find its stride and to get going. There are parts that are awkward, um, there's definitely some, some clunky writing and some, uh, some stuff where uh there's an opportunity for uh character development or just like uh, honestly some character building scenes uh that isn't really explored but you have the basic premise there uh they've laid the groundwork that they could do something cool it's easy to imagine an alternate possibility where the show became really good after season one the alien designs are ugly the altaians are oh yeah i was gonna complain about the aliens the aliens are all there to just to just be like uh alien space monsters alien Um, they're all stupid and you know speak gibberish languages they're goofy this is like clip art alien yeah it's um again like this is this is more of what makes me feel like this is uh this is sci-fi by by people who aren't really into sci-fi. It's not it's not actually exploring any question with these aliens. They're just here to be like uh, comic relief. None of the, none of them are characters. We don't care about them. So the threat of uh, them being genocided, which you know comes up multiple times, uh, is not really uh, compelling. I mean, in that same episode, it's they're treated as kind of a joke species, um, and then it's Completely. like, which I mean, uh, uh, of course they are sentient, so them being being genocided is a legitimate issue as it would be with any other sentient being but the tone of the episode is completely off because well i mean we watched it so yeah it's uh it's just like you know you can have comic relief aliens uh you can also do a plot about um uh, impending alien genocide uh it's kind of weird to combine the two and to have your like potential genocide victims just uh being there to chew the scenery yeah, uh, they're not they're not characters, so I don't care about them. They're they're all just there to be jokes, um, and it kind of comes across weird when we're trying to argue for like, um, I mean, I, I can't say humanity, but uh, but for like the inherent value of these lives, and they're all just joke characters. And uh, the Altans are just elves. Like yeah. they're the only not ugly ones, but they're just elves. They're just elves. They're just space elves. Yeah. Um, all right, so that is going to be all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on Twitter or Tumblr at Literary Demerit. We upload new episodes every Friday. Uh, and it might be bi-weekly for a while since these episodes <laughs> are going to be so long and take a lot more preparation. Um, we, but, up- uh, uh, we upload episodes on Fridays. I'll go yeah. that far. <laughs> you can find us on Patreon or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks so much to The Birthday Massacre and Metropolis Records for the use of their song Counterpain. You can find them on Bandcamp, Spotify, and Apple Music. And remember... We don't own anything. All credit to the original owners! Fuck, I can't say nya on anymore. We don't have an outro. Fuck. Sucks. We have to, we have to throw the whole episode away. Plants on! <laughs> That doesn't work. <laughs>